What's happening, you fat bastards? This is Mike. And this is Sir James Brown, founder of Faith No More Followers Spiritual and Theological Center. And welcome to Podcast Croissant. How's it hanging, my most non-bogus co-host? Most excellent, my brother. <laughs> most wow, non- we have spoken ages. Non, 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 non-heinous shit. I, I can't remember how many nons I did. On the day that President Trump gets coronavirus, we're back. Excellent. What a headline. I, I skimmed the headline and checked the article and apparently it's true. Yes way. <laughs> so how are you? Excellent. Uh, how's it good? Hanging? It's Friday. Good. It's Friday night. I'm feeling all right. Yourself? We swapped back, haven't we? And this morning for me, evening for you. I've yep. had, hang on, six, six. Seven, six, seven, six, seven coffees, seven coffees I've had waiting for you to get your ass in gear. Mm. Things have changed in my life. I'm a teacher. Can you imagine me a teacher? I can't even speak proper <laughs> and I'm teaching kids. But you've, you've got yourself a nice haircut. I've seen some photos and the, and dressing smart. And That's right. Styling. Mm. You know, you're styling. Yeah. Dude, I live in, I live in Marrickville now. Yeah, you moved. Well, we knew best, you moved. You told us you moved. Best part of Sydney. Now. Best yeah. suburb of Sydney, for sure. When I've been on the tinnies once before, I've talked about Young Henry's. I'm probably about a kilometre down the road from Young Henry's. I've got Grifter right nearby. I've got Stockade Brewery. I've got Batch. There's another one called Small Batch. I haven't been there yet. There's Filter. Um, Do you just choose where you there. live? I'm surrounded by beer Where the beer is? It, it just more interesting things than what Rose Bay ever had. That's most unprecedented, dude. Yeah, dude. Have you seen the movie yet? Have you seen it? No. No. At the moment, to go to the cinema in the UK, it's like sitting in surgery. You have to wear a mask and a social distance and all that lot. And going to the cinema is kind of a, a treat for me. So I don't want it impaired by all these silly things. So I'll just wait until this ridiculous coronavirus has fucked off. Well, you've got your, you've got your second surge of it at the moment. Uh, Netflix has been enough for me. I've been watching some, the new Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Oh, God. Stuff stuff about serial killer Dennis Nilsson. I watched the VMAs with my wife the other day. Look, every year I watch it just so I've got something to be a grumpy old man about. I mean, <laughs> a total pile of dog shit. You remember when Patton turned into a human fish or when Nirvana wrecked their instruments and, and climbed up the scenery? None of that shit happens anymore. Oh, no. I pulled a tendon in my finger by putting on a sock. <laughs> Last time we spoke, I think you did your five kilometres running and you were... Oh, I fucked that off. Doing pretty well. My belly's back and everything. <laughs> and now, now you're just <laughs> pulling fingers on socks. Yeah, it was bogus. I saw Face of Music. I saw it at the cinema. Good. Because, you know, um, Australia's doing all right. Victoria's just coming out of lockdown very soon, I think. And we're pretty much, yeah... There's almost no there's COVID. A, there's a, a Faith No More poster in it, isn't there? Do you know, I didn't see it. I knew about it and I didn't spot it. I think it's in one of the opening scenes and I think I was just so excited at the foreground that I missed the background. And it was about 20 minutes in that I went, hang on a second, they're supposed to be. And I knew I'd already seen like a garage scene and either way I didn't spot it. But I have seen a screenshot of it and yeah, very subtle. Should we do a bit of housekeeping? We ain't got a jingle for housekeeping. No. And, we keep saying um, we're going to make new jingles, but we never do. I think we did pretty well getting that emails one done. I think we should cut ourselves some slack. But yeah, um, 
housekeeping. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> that was totally bodacious, dude. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so I've got some housekeeping. Good. I just like I don't to say, uh, you quite spectacularly oh. used the word osmosis in last episode. Now uh, I, mm-hmm. I skipped by it when we're recording pretending i knew what it meant but i have to confess after the show i googled it <laughs> <laughs> so now i know what osmosis means so cool thanks for enlightening me sure you're welcome dude we had a lot of positive feedback from last episode do you know what i can't imagine why because i listened back to it and it made no sense whatsoever my system's wave was utter tosh it was <laughs> absolute fucking baloney i can't believe we wasted all that time I listened to the first half hour and confused myself. Uh, I, I, look, I know what I wanted to get across. Well, my wife listened to it and she basically sat there and said, I've never said that. I've never done that. And she contradicted <laughs> pretty much every argument I put across in that episode. So, yeah. So if you do go back well, and listen we've... to episode 20 of, uh, in fact, don't go back and listen to episode 20 of, of um, Podcast Croissant. I think um, you'll just confuse yourself. Is this like one of those moments where a band does an album and, shames it later and we just maybe. say that wasn't a yeah, maybe. hit of an episode yeah. we got an email that we'll get to but someone actually said i don't really get what you were getting <laughs> at on that episode and and the thing is i i appreciate what's been said and we'll read that email but um i guess yeah we can respond to it then but you know i, I think um i enjoyed that episode it was it was an indulgent I got one to um chuck stop Doug interviewed Danny Elfman or whatever he's called from Megadeth, bass guy. <laughs> Danny Elfman. And I was like, how come this fucking dude's on our show and we didn't know anything about it? And at first I was like, well, that's pretty cool. But then I thought, right, bollocks to this. So I went away and I interviewed yeah. someone very special just for this show. Right. I'll play it now and then we can discuss it afterwards. Right. Okay. So this is my very super special interview recorded just for this episode of Podcast Croissant. Ego. <laughs> So I can't believe I'm saying this. This is such a massive honour. We have Mr. Mike Patton on Podcast Croissant. Thanks for being here, Mike. Uh, thank you for having me. So this episode is all about your ex-bandmate, Jim Martin. Happy to be a part of it? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> so um, if we can, I'd like to ask you about Anthony Kiedis. Um, did you actually copy his style back in the 90s? I thought... Hey, this stuff is amazing. It inspires me. Um, there's no point in trying to recreate something that's basically perfect. All right, yeah. Yeah, okay, if we can move on. I'd like to talk about the time you had a shit outside Buckingham Palace in the UK. Yeah, I always wonder, like, uh, you know, I make these weird uh, sort of uh, career decisions, and that was that was one of the weirdest ones I've ever done. Um, I mean, what do you think? What did you think you were doing? I mean, it's just crazy. Well, okay. I mean, I'll take that if that's what you're saying. Um, I mean, what's your fascination with poo? Um, I learned about this stuff, and then I, you know, started asking friends, and then all of a sudden, you know, a, a million doors opened. Well, why are you interested in your friends' shit? I had uh, the opportunity and the, and the time and the means uh-huh. to, to investigate Ugh. and to get really deep. You know, Ugh. what was it that, you know, attracted me? Eh, I'm not really so sure. Um, I figured that, you know, 
via osmosis, I would sort of learn uh, the language. Osmosis. My mate Mike likes work. that word. Um, so, what do you do with the poo once you've got it? You either uh, attack it aggressively or you don't. Okay. I'm going to use that raw material and hopefully make it my own mm. and hopefully do something with it that, uh, mm-hmm. that you know, is, is not better or worse. It's just different. Okay, okay, enough about shit. I've also heard that you are planning a trip into space so you can play on Mars. Is that Why true? Why not? I can plan on anything. I can plan on playing on the fucking moon, too. <laughs> um, but that's not really going to happen. No, it's not going to happen, Mike. Um... Well, let me ask you this. Do you, do you have a family? I do, yeah, but I don't see that it's any yeah. How many kids? business. Uh, two. Okay. So let me ask you. Go on. How do you how do you how do you delegate your time between your two kids, and how do you not um, show favoritism? How do you I, how do you? I don't see why this is relevant. I don't know. Make okay, okay, Mike. I think you're getting a little personal time. now. I think it's time to wrap this up. So um, thank you, Mike Patton, for being our guest tonight on podcast Croissant. Was it worth it? Definitely, it was fun. Um, but did it really further? Uh, uh, did it really enrich anyone's lives? Right. No, I don't think so. I think it pissed a lot of people off. Fucking That's what hell. I think. There's no accounting for taste. Fuck off. So there you go. See? <laughs> Boom! Boom! Straight out of the park, Mr. Doug Esper. Stick that one in your pipe and smoke it. Yep. <laughs> right. Should we go to emails? I'm just cut that I couldn't be a part of it. I have a second laptop for reading emails. I'm going to change your name to Mike. Two laptops. Hairs. <laughs> That's what they'll call you from now on. Oh my God, here comes Mike. Two laptops. Hairs. Well, I don't even know what to say to two, two laptops. Get used to it. It's your new nickname. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Start it off. We've got one. <laughs> I'm ready. Look, I've been ready for three hours, mate. Sat here waiting for you, so okay. just fucking read the bastard. Uh, that was a long. That was a long edit. We've got one here from Tristan Symes. It says, "Hi guys. Hi, Tristan here from Brisbane, Australia, up the road from Mike. I came into Faith No More around the time they broke up, but I cannot recall exactly when. Somewhere around the late '90s in high school, a mate gave me a burnt CD with a copy." Oh, with a copy of some Faith No More songs and the installer for Winamp, which really whips the llama's ass, which won't mean much unless you guys use Winamp back in the day. It went on high rotation from then till, well, it still is, but sadly, I never got a chance to see Faith No More play prior to their breakup. At the same time, I started to follow Patton's many other bands' projects, getting to see Tomahawk and Peeping Tom, Marvelling at Patton's vocal abilities and also his persona changes, but they were still not Faith No More. So you can imagine my squeals of girlish glee when I found out Faith No More had reformed and would be touring. Prayers answered, dreams come true. It was 2010 and I had arrived at Soundwave in Sydney early and checked out a few bands, but as you guys have spoken about, there was only 
really one band I was there to see. As it got closer to Faith No More coming out, I had taken up position early right in front of the stage. As it got closer to the start, the chants rang out, Faith No More, Faith No More, Faith... While Jimmy Eat World, meh, was still playing on the other stage. I am pretty sure Mike mentioned he was there, and so I am sure can attest to the energy that started to build. Ah, he's talking about, I was there for Sydney. Um, Then dressed in white, out they came, reunited, and it feels so good. It took me days to come down from that high. Since then, I have seen them again at Soundwave, along with Patton a few times, including with Mondo Carne, where I managed to score a drumstick from William Wynant. Uh, I was building myself up for this year's tour until COVID and fucked everything. I'm still not confident they will be let in next year, but we have to hold out hope. Having, having your podcast does... What? What? Having your podcast... Ah. <clears throat> having your podcast does help quell the pain. That is a hard sentence to read. Having your podcast does help quell the pain. Loving the podcast. You all are great. Nothing seems to be edited out, farts and all, huh? Plus, I have had some good album artist song suggestions. Cheers, guys. Tristan. Do you know what, Mike? You really have to get with the program because that was terrible reading. That was absolutely terrible reading. I know it's been a while, but I feel sorry for Tristan. I'm going to apologise to Tristan. Tristan, sorry. I apologise on Mike's... In fact, you apologise to Tristan, Mike. That was bad reading. Sorry, I thought Jim would be willing to edit it down no. to the me getting it right. Right. Okay. I'm going to move on. I'm going to read. But I will oh, say God. in Brisbane, because he was talking about Soundwave. Yeah. Oh, f- fuck. He said it was 2010 and I arrived at Soundwave in City. Shit. He starts it out talking about he's from Brisbane. And so I was imagining Brisbane, Soundwave. Yes, I was at that same one. God damn it. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yep. I read the Brisbane bit. Yep. But he said he was from He was at the Sydney show. The Tristan, Brisbane show so was sorry. the one where Patton got his Patton got his dick out at Soundwave in Brisbane. I, I so can we, only apologize. Both Tristan and I missed for Mike's Tristan and I missed ridiculous Patton's dick out. Behave yourself. Right, okay, let's move on. I want to okay, read this well, yep. I might not read it all because it's fucking long. Um but I want to read a bit of this email from Sam. Sam's been in touch quite a few times via Faith No More followers. And uh, uh, I did say I would read his email out on last episode, but never did. So here we go from Sam Hamilton. Oh, well, he's fucking started off stupidly, hasn't he? Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Kiora Mike and Jim from Chili Dundee in New Zealand. I wish I hadn't read Kiora is the Maori greeting. fucking introduction now. I have only just recently <laughs> discovered your podcast and just finished listening to your KFAD I'm Down series, which I really appreciated. I'm a long-time FNM fan, and I have also thought about sending an email for a while. Anyway, I really enjoyed listening to your last podcast. It's like listening to old friends chat and all the name drops of people I have chatted to over the years to add to this. I too used to dial up to the net and search for what I could. And Caco Volante mailing list was amazing. All those years ago, when you dialed into the net and hoped it worked, Q dial up sounds. I'm not adding fucking samples to your email as well, Sam. Can Taking I... liberties now. As I first, be- I, as I said, as I said, I've been a fan since the mid 1990s. My close friend introduced me to Angel Dust in the summer of 93, 94, as well as Rage Against Machine, Alice in Chains, and Nine Inch Nail. 
great company. Nine Inch Nail. <laughs> Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> King for a Day came out soon after this, and it was the first album I really connected with. And it's still very dear to my heart. I love all the songs, and standouts are very much gentle art. King for a Day. Last to know. Just a man. It's funny when Mike was talking about his young, naive ideas about Take This Bottle. I had the same with King for a Day. And I took it literally about getting pissed at a party and feeling like you want to die. I guess when I was 15 or 16, I started going to parties and they all seemed to be the best. And the number of times I ended up lying down with the room spinning. I even have King for a Day on red vinyl, which I bought from a friend about 20 years ago and I've only played once. I don't have a record player myself, you see. And I have the red KFD barking dog shirt, which I wore to death and no longer have, which sucks because I tried to find it and someone had it for sale for $250 plus. I've got that one. Is that um, how much it is? Right, I'm going to skip there. He actually says here, look, below is a long-winded story. Skip if you can't be bothered. Well, I can't be bothered. So now we wait for FNM to return. I'll now be going to the first show of the whole tour in Christchurch funnily enough and the closest to the mountain in their new media releases which looks pretty cool and completely coincidental just rewind there <laughs> you were talking about what the set this might be like and I did I read correctly in the interview with the crew that he mentioned something about Jizzlobber being played no don't remember that I totally agree um, I hope FNM plays some right crackers Chinese arithmetic crab song zombie eaters the real thing last to know king for a day helpless everything's ruined wow so many good songs also in your last podcast I believe you talked about doing a show with the best songs sung live well I definitely have some highlights did we talk about that best songs sung live I, I think Sam might be listening to a different podcast to be honest with you that'd actually be a really good theme though like best best vocal moments anyway yeah Cool. Well, that's all Let's for now. That. I hope to email you again, but I'll keep it shorter next time. It's all right, mate. I totally condensed your email. Um, oh, yeah. Jim, 40 plus T-shirts. Can you spare a few? No. I missed out on getting the wash your hands T-shirt. I'm totally gutted. I've been searching for another Faith No More T-shirt, but large is all sold out. Seriously, if anyone has a spare one, they could part with to a dedicated Faith No More fan. Cheers. What the f- Oh, man. Do you know what? These people that write in get weirder every week. Cheers, Sam. <laughs> I don't know how to... It's a, it's a Let's narrow. move on before we get stuck in email hell. Okay, okay. Chris Paul with the subject. It would be wrong to ask you what why. What if he called his, like, his, his children north and south? <laughs> Pretty much everywhere, it's going to be hot. Shut it. Then I don't need a jacket. Thanks, Arthur. All right, Chris Paul. Hey there, Mike and Jim, or Jim and Mike. You guys scrap that out. Love the podcast. You guys are awesome and your enthusiasm is insatiable. So just wanted to draw attention to two very small issues. Jim mentioned he had a from out of nowhere seven inch with, well, from out of nowhere seven, oh, he's talking about the song, from out of nowhere seven inch with a random chills B-side which was Submarine Bells, that he hasn't bothered to ever listen to. Not the best chill song, that's Pink Frost, amongst others. But as a Kiwi fan, so very familiar with chills, and she had, who you've mentioned a few times, and of whom Faith No More are big vocal fans with Jazz Coleman from Killing Joke doing production on their first couple of albums. Uh, I suggest you give that B-side a spin 
Why not? I write from Te Waiponamu. God, oh fuck, I've, that's, I, I fucked that. The South Island of New Zealand. I think you'll find it's pronounced. Until today. <laughs> it's probably, it's definitely not. And up until today would have done so with some slight smug sense of glee for our 100 days of post-lockdown COVID-free awesomeness. Let's just uh, say this was dated 12th of August, so this actually goes back quite a while. Some slight smug sense of glee for our 100 days of post-lockdown COVID-free awesomeness. That's hard to read. Except today we regressed and it's all a bit shit. Jacinda still rules though. If we do go into lockdown again, then it'll be a good chance to delve into some Chuck Mosley era stuff from you guys. But as someone who happily listened to four hours of deep diving into midlife crisis, mega work, genuinely so insightful, fellas. And halfway through your glorious four-part dissection of King for a Day, Proper struggling I'm sure today, I'll get there right? anyway. At reading. What's that? You're proper struggling at reading today, <clears> you. I am. The, it's nice the, um, for you to be talking like a, um, a Neanderthal <laughs> man rather than me. <laughs> the thing is, I'm, I'm stuck on the fact that he's actually said, um, Jacinda still rules though. Like everyone loves, um, what's her name? Jacinda, Jacinda Arden. Is that her name? The prime minister of New Zealand? Yeah, no, yeah I've, seen, I've seen videos of her. She's proper like. Best prime minister that ever lived in any country ever, isn't she? Like people actually like her, and she's actually done a good job. Yeah, it's and there was an outbreak, and she said we're going to do another lockdown, and a few people got upset, but most people just went, "Yeah, cool, let's do another lockdown. Let's get this fucking nipped in the bud." Oh yeah. And yep. then recently, speaking of bud, I saw a, 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 a headline that she's admitted to have smoking weed. No way. Yes way. Yep, just 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 came out outright and even though it's still illegal in New Zealand, she's like, yeah. Shikinda, we'd love right, to have you on the Shikinda. show. Yep. Yep. Uh, you're slowly Hang hearing on. the founder of Podcast Croissant unraveling before your very ears in this episode. See, I just pause assuming we're gonna edit this. Out. Yeah, usually when you pause, we stop talking and we edit that out. But today I'm pulling you up on all your little mistakes. <laughs> See, this makes it hard. To finish it for then you. he says, but my other point was just to address all the digging the grave haters. And then he goes on for a while and says, digging the grave <laughs> remains a total highlight for him. I just, I just hope you yeah, edited all of that because fuck you, dude. <laughs> yeah. Keep um, up your amazing work, guys. Love the obsession. Blessings from New Zealand from Polar Bear. Cheers, Polar Bear. <laughs> Thanks, Polar right. Chris. All right. Uh, I'm going to read one from Ben Brown, Cousin Ben. Oh, Florida man, Ben Brown. Yeah. Thank you, Jim, for shouting out my email about some Faith the More traditions being getting with Chuck and how his voice holds up among some of the legends who don't get the same criticisms. Thank you for your impassioned plea for people to shift their perspective a bit and see what a critical element he was for the band's attitude, sound and ultimate success. After all, the band was signed to record deals twice with him in the band. Mm Mm-hmm. And by extension, his music outside of FMM is also extremely underappreciated. Cement was a, a great band and Chuck evolved as a vocalist. Will Rap Over Hard Rock is an amazing album and is equally great, if not better, in the Demos for Sale version, which, ahem, 
Thanks, me and the linear notes. Yeah. <laughs> linear notes. <laughs> linear notes. <laughs> Liner notes. Do you know what, Ben? I get a thank on there as well. So, <laughs> the Primitive Race album is a lot of fun, but the two songs that really blow my mind that people never talk about are on his Bandcamp page. Eric Illusion is an amazing vocal stream of, uncons- of consciousness jam. Okay. And hard dive driving rock tune takes his vocal up his old man smoke limit. <laughs> to me, his vocal on this gives you the feel like his voice on Faster Disco. I don't know that one. Uh, also, after around 18 years of hearing me reference Faith No More in every conversation about art in any form, I finally had a friend ask me to make him a C- mix CD. I made him three. And it was chronological. He ended up only liking the Chuck stuff. This was surprising, but not too surprising, because he had come to me, with me to see Tomahawk live, and really did not like them. And pretty much has shut down any pattern song he's ever heard. He admits that he can make many noises, but he hates his singing voice. Also, thanks for mentioning Roddy's Bandcamp, but don't forget Hi-Fi Club and Crickets plus Man on Man. He's certainly the hardest working man in music in 2020. Gotta say, raping your mind sounds great. Can't wait, but I prefer the shitty production for some messed up reason. Ben. Don't worry, we'll be talking about Roddy's new projects in Faith No More News. Cheers, Ben. Yeah, cheers, Ben. We've heard from Mr. John again. (laughs) Hello, Spike and Tim. I have no suggestions, no silly language or F&M factoids to shareify with you today. I just wanted to say that the recent How to Recommend Faith No More podcast made me laugh lots and lots at a time when I was feeling a bit down. So you helped me feel better. I was oot for a walk listening on headphones when Jim talked about his draw sounding like Midnight Cowboy and lost my shit laughing so much when you guys recreated that song intro with the draw sound, I doubled over laughing in the street, watched by puzzled neighbours and the postman. So thanks for that. Now proceed with whatever you were just doing and don't forget to keep your social media up to date, please, and thank you. Cheers, Mr. John. And our social media isn't up to date. But thank you, Mr. John. Okay. I've got an email from Ivan K. Batchkaroff. I believe Ivan's written him before because I wouldn't forget a name like that. It sounds like a Star Trek character. Batchkarov. Hello, Mike and Jim. I am somewhat puzzled about the topic you chose for the last episode. Me too. <laughs> yeah, this, yep. is, this is the one. AKA FNM for people who don't listen to FNM. Yep, what a pair of knobheads we were. You probably need another episode to discuss the characteristics of the imaginary person that you plan to subject with such a persistent treatment of music that they aren't interested in. But of course, how can it not work? First they were exposed to the hits, then the ballads, then the heavy stuff, then the deep cups, then the video clips, the concerts in the particular order you envisioned. Would they be considered fans or still discovering at this point? Bloody hell, I haven't listened to half the concerts you mentioned and I'm under the illusion that I have been a fan for about 28 years. Is your experimental subject going to be tied to a chair while you are administering your weeks-long sonic assault to them? Sorry, or would they naturally be docile? Are you looking for innocent individuals with no preconceptions? Maybe a wild child that grew up with wolves and never heard music before. <laughs> Do you know what? Yes. Normally, I'd proper that's, rip that's... into Ivan, and like, but I totally agree with him. So, here is where I have a problem with your premise. Oh, no, you've already just mentioned one problem. You've got another one. For me, <laughs> there is no fan of FMM that only likes the ballads or only likes the hits. 
True FNM fans adore this band because of the variety. That is the gist of the appeal. For me, it was love at first sight. Maybe I had some hesitation at first, but it was immediately compelling and I knew this would be something I would want to listen to more and more until I figured it out. The FNM Mr Bungle Camp has always been about open-mindedness and curiosity. About searching and exploring. Not being spoon-fed, I am easy, listening bullshit. By the way, that is why I'm disappointed with the new Bungle record. It's an epitaph of a creative era that used to defy stylistic boundaries and conventions. I also wanted to pick up... Oh, no, he's not finished. I also <laughs> wanted to pick up on something Jim said. Oh, it's you directly. That for a long time, he was the only person he knew of that listened to the band. My early years, maybe all through the 90s, I was so much in love, I was jealous of other fans, and I wanted to be alone in the purity of my fandom. My gut reaction to everyone saying they liked FNM was animosity. It was the perfect music made for me, not them. How could anyone else feel that same way, or so many things at the same time? What if they only liked the ballads, or the hits? See, the converts you are trying to produce are precisely the fake fans I used to be running away from. For me, you either get it from day one or you don't. You either like the albums with all their variety, or you will remain forever the owner of a sole best-of collection. Cheers, Ivan. Do you know what, Ivan? Totally agree with you. Nice email, mate. Thank you. Yeah. Last episode was bollocks. We're just going to shut it down that way. I did, I did write back to Ivan and sort of explained the sentiment. You read an email, I'm going to write back to You're going to write now. back to Ivan while I read this yeah. one from Rick Topping? Yeah, why you read an email? Okay. Yeah, Okay. <clears throat> All right, you write back to Ivan and I'll... So this one's nice. from Rick Topping. One. Um, subject, gentlemen. Dude. Totally. Hey, guys. Agree. First thing I want to say is how much I appreciate the podcast. It's been really great to listen to. You guys have a fantastic chemistry that makes the episodes fun and super informative. I've been listening to Faith No More since The Real Thing, but didn't get obsessed until King for a Day. So the four-part King for a Day episode was fantastic. So much stuff I didn't know about my favorite record of all time. The other thing the podcast did for me was to convince me to go back and listen to Chuck. After doing so, I'm kicking myself in the ass for not doing it earlier. Introduce Yourself is a fantastic record, even if my wife can't stand it. I've been listening to it nonstop. Anyhow, quick idea for a show, cover versions, blah, da, 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 da. That is something on the list. We'll talk about cover versions of songs, but I'll keep that little list he's put together for us. So... Thanks again for being awesome. Keep up the fantastic work. Hope to see Faith No More live next summer if they reschedule the tour. Be safe and be well, you fat bastards. So the, the actual premise of last episode was to try and get people listening to Chuck, and we did we did that there. Well, I think the, the premise was to get that people into Faith No More, and I think the, alternate, the, 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 the route we went where we got a little bit carried away with ourselves went that way. And yes. Yeah. So we did, yeah, we succeeded. I've got an email here from Creepy Little Eagle, and I'm going to read it all in that voice just because I know it'll really annoy him. Hello, guys. I know people hate me for saying this, but Jim is my least favourite guitarist. (laughs) After covering all the albums, I realised how good he was, but also how lazy he was, specifically on Angel Dust. Oh, God, it's hard to read in that voice. Keep going, keep going. <clears throat> there is, keep going, all right. <laughs> there is also a quote from Patton in 1995 where he said, Jim no, switch, has a cowboy switch. hat as a Now do this in Patton's he, voice. What? 
Do the do the quote in Patton's voice. Are you suggesting somehow that my earlier interview was bogus, was not genuine? Mike! Um, Jim had a cowboy hat, a cigar and a beard. You have to choose if you want to put up with this shit for the style or sacrifice the image for the substance. Nah. I think that was true. And at the end, Jim was more rock and roll guy rather than a guy creating great guitarists for the band. Can you put the sample in there? <laughs> well executed. That was amazing. Yeah, thank you. Caralho voador. Thank you. I think. <clears throat> Where are we? Oh, God, there's so many more emails to read. Oh, we Come missed on. one. <laughs> so many more, we missed one. Um, actually, this is really funny. This is a pain in the ass from an, edit, from an editing editing perspective. Brian Farrell wrote to us saying, Hey guys, long time, first time and all that shit. Your dresser drawer bit last episode was hilarious and prompted me to finally write the email I've been putting off for over a year now. Last year, at least here in the US, every Honda commercial was opened with a simple two-note chime on a blue screen before launching into the commercial. Here are the two links. And so he sends two links and if you listen to it, Essentially, the first two notes of the little chime at the start sounds like RV. So, here it is. I've literally just listened to it. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree with him. Nice one. Well spotted. Every time I heard this, all I heard was RV. Purely coincidentally, the very next day, I was watching Ozark on Netflix and a completely mundane scene of Marty brushing his teeth made me laugh so hard. I had to send it to you. It's attached. Crack Hitler? And it's funny. I watched it the first time. I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? He talks about Crack Hitler here. I'll play it to you real quick. Dust album. Oh, with your stupid noises. That was actually fantastic. Yeah. Oh, oh, this this episode's getting better by the second. We're finally picking up now. First of all, the Mike Patton. Uh, interview, which was real, <clears throat> yeah, hundred um, percent real. And now this shit, and then absolutely brilliant, yay, yeah. Do you want to read from uh, Maddie Hinchcliffe? Maddie Hinchcliffe, okay. Howdy, fellas, Big Jim. Oh, it's, this is on. This is on topic. Well done. Woo. Well, I always loved how he never seemed to fit in with the rest of the band, apart from being a weirdo like the rest of them, I suppose. He always appeared to be wearing stuff that he found in a bin or whatever, <laughs> perhaps apart from in the small victory and midlife crisis videos. It would have been interesting to see how his image changed as the band smartened up during the album of the year and reunion eras. 
Jim always appeared a lot older than the rest of the band to me as well. I loved the way he didn't take part in the aerobic sessions during the Angel Dust tour. <laughs> I was at the Sheffield Arena gig. So was I, Matty Hinchcliffe. I was there too. His Bloody playing, dumb. though, wow. I never really took much notice of him during his time with the band. I was too obsessed with a certain frontman. But these days, I can see how important he was. His soloing was amazing, but his rhythm and chugging was superb to me. I think... My favourite gym moment is at Phoenix 1993 during midlife crisis when Patton's mic cuts and you can just hear Jim's playing really clearly. Love it. Cheers, Matthew. We've spoke about that. We, we have, yeah. 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 I think it was a midlife crisis episode, that episode that was like six days long. Should we just... I'm, I'm just going to drop that here because it's so good. Cheers, Matty. That was a that was a good one. I like that. Yep, big Jim. Uh, you know what's great? Yep, you've got a voice memo. Here's Brian. Brian. We've already read Brian's. No, Brian, bit of bore. Oh, there's another Brian. Bit of bore from Brian, but he gave us a voice memo. Hang on, it's a bit of a weird name, isn't it? I prefer Brian. Brian, don't Texas, lose your ad- identity. Texas, Use your I'm real name. Dude. His voice memo goes for seven minutes. Like many Faith the More fans, I first got into them when I heard Epic on the radio. <laughs> what, are we, what are you doing? Are we just going to play this then? Are we just going to play that? Um, <laughs> we actually just, let's just leave that in. He got, he got his 30 seconds of fame, didn't hang he? Hang on, hang on. Play a bit more of it. Terrible. Sorry, D. Come on. I, I like it when they're silly, but they missed on that one. They tried way too hard. There's a plane uh, going overhead as well. So anyway, guys. <laughs> Excellent. Obviously, my favorite man in the whole world. They changed my life. Hey everyone, I'm sitting in editing at the moment, and I know Jim and I are having a bit of a laugh. Um, but yeah, look, Brian um, sent this great voice memo. Um, Brian, I have condensed it down a little bit. But there's been some really great thought put into um, some commentary on King for a Day. And Brian also gave us a top 10, and I really like what he had to say about his number 10. So I'm going to share a little bit of that voice uh, that voice memo now. Um, and, yeah, we do love receiving them, so please continue sending them in. Here's Brian. Howdy from Texas, y'all. I love the podcast, guys. I learn something every episode. You guys are hilarious. And I appreciate that y'all are musicians and actually get into the nuts and bolts of the songs. I've read Adrian's book, Small Victories, and loved it. Every fan of Faith the More should read it. I couldn't put it down. When King for a Day came out, I was definitely disappointed. It's a great album, but it didn't sound 100% like Faith No More. The lack of Roddy definitely bummed me out. Even as a guitar player, the reason I fell in love with Faith No More was because they were a kick-ass band with keyboards. I saw them live on this tour in St. Petersburg, Florida. The best part was the fact that before the show, the band was walking around amongst us mortals like it was nothing. And everyone just left them alone. 
My friends and I were too chicken to approach them. The venue, Janice Landing, had an outdoor stage, but had a bar inside with pool tables and pinball machines. We were playing pool, and Puffy was right next to us playing pinball with someone. At one point, my friend accidentally poked Puffy in the ass with his cue stick, prompting an awkward apology and a dirty look from Puffy. And number 10, New Beginnings. I never hear anybody put this on any lists. It seems to me it's one of the most underrated Faith and More songs. I love the palm mute picking part on those chords. It may be the most emotional song they have, even more so than Just a Man or King for a Day. And I adore the lyric, God never made moral decisions, God made love. That line just destroys me. Even though Patton is overall a better lyricist, that has got to be my favorite Faith No More lyric. So anyway, guys, uh, I love Faith No More. It's obviously my favorite band in the whole world. They changed my life. Even though I'm an old, tired, alt-country folk rock artist, Mike Patton's lyric and melody styles uh, still influence my songwriting. Uh, Thanks again, guys, and keep it up. And for the love of all that is holy and pure, please do a four-part Angel Dust series. Mm. Let's do one better. Next episode, we're going to discuss Land of Sunshine and the beginning of the topic of Angel Dust. And we're going to do an episode for every song, apart from Midlife Crisis. We've already done that. So, uh, right, is that it for emails? No. We didn't. Fuck, I haven't even checked Facebook and I'm happy to skip it. All right. We'll get to it. What? Facebook? Yeah, we'll get to it. Is Uh, that it? Can we finish um, emails now? But we do have one more from Ben Brown. And Ben Brown, Florida man, Ben Brown, is talking about James B. Martin and it's very well laid out. He's done it in seven points. And this is the last email. It's on topic. Do you want to read it? (laughs) No, you can read it. I'll tell you what, let's read a point in. <clears throat> okay, yeah, 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 sick. Okay, cool. So, uh, Ben Brown writes, with the subject, James B. Martin, here are some topics for discussion. Doesn't even doesn't even start with hey guys or anything. He just, he's just straight no, into it. Just launches straight into it. Here are some topics for discussion. To the point. Number Go one. Go, Ben. Number one. What a great tone. Quintessential for Faith No More and finding their sound. Though I also loved what I heard live from Jay Crucifix Smith and Mark Bowen, meaning the core of Faith No More was ultimately going to be a great band. My favourite capture of Jim's tone is on Introduce Yourself. I think it went a little too shrill on The Real Thing. Actually, for me, the guitar tone on the Cowboy song and the Seagull song sample is too overdone and takes away from the playing. Point number two, all the excellent guitar riffs on the live renditions. No one else has been able to inject energy into those older songs like Jim did. Excellent, dude. Number three, what a consistent person. Jim appeared unable to grow with the music and music scene, but has always appeared to be unflappable in interviews, unmoved by trends or circumstances. He also knew what he liked and wasn't going to compromise his art. That was always a challenge to what it means to be in Faith No More, but collectively they made it work somehow for a long time. Number four, what a sense of humour. Check out the 1992 Made Avail interviews. Jim was killing it. And read all the interviews post-firing. He responds to insults with humour and humility. While possibly musically less mature, he often seemed like the adult in the band. The band collectively in the 80s and 90s seemed way too passive-aggressive when it came to communication. Bill kept having to quit the band to effect change. Luckily, they never let him. 
they probably could have got along better by talking more openly. Number five. Milk and Blood is a fun album, but he needed more vision and a better band. No way. Yes way. Number six. The porn movie soundtrack conflict is horrible. It would be nice to hear music from me again, but nothing like that. It was bogus. <laughs> it was bogus, dude. <laughs> <laughs> what a dick we <laughs> Number seven. They melvined me. Number seven. I guess my third favorite recording, touring, touring guitarist of Faith No More, and I love them all. Best guitar solo in all of Faith No More is on and song. Those instrumentals he wrote with Puffy Rock, Pills for Breakfast, Chinese Arithmetic later with added vocals, and Woodpecker's great stuff. That was a bit fragmented, that one, but other than that... Yeah, thanks, Ben. That's a wrap. Th- thanks, Cousin Ben. Thanks, Florida Ben. Ben Brown. End of emails. Yo! <sighs> thank, thank God for that. Podcast Croissant episode number 21. The big, sick and ugly episode all about guitarist Jim Martin. Right, so his Roddy Bottom episode was like fucking nine years long. So let's try and keep this one a bit shorter. I mean, after all, Jim's not been in the band since like 1993. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So well, my point I was making about social media earlier was it does seem that people fall into one of two camps. Some argue that Jim is, was an integral part of FNM. He created their unique sound. He added to the flavour and personality that none of the following guitarists managed to do. Now, others say that he held the band back, that their style was actually created by Bill, Roddy and Mike and not Jim at all. And in the end of the day, the only album that features his writing heavily is The Real Thing. Some love his macho rock and roll bravado. Some don't. You know, some people love him. Some people don't. So Jim played a huge part in uh, the initial appeal of Faith No More to me. He was uh, the dirty rock and roll persona. Cigarettes, alcohol and attitude. You know, kind of a bit like Guns N' Roses of the time, Aerosmith of the time. But when I started learning more about Faith No More... I began not to kind of love those side of things so much. And soon, pretty much like the band, I tolerated his disposition because he was such a great guitarist and worked well with the music. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He was always a bit of a cartoon character. The hair, the glasses, the sheriff's badge. And because of this distinctive look, he seemed like he was always the face for the band back in the early days. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I always, I always thought Jim was cool, but that style lost appeal towards the end of the 90s. Hmm. Um, and, and if you look at Faith No More members now, uh, they've aged and they're still cool. You know, they've got cool in the blood. Whereas when you look at Jim Martin now, he looks like he works in a hardware store. <laughs> he was playing up to a character. But and the thing, and this is the thing about Jim, that when most people were exposed to... Faith No More, it was Patton, Epic, you know, Falling to Pieces. Um, for you, you saw them with From Out of Nowhere. But it was always Jim, the tall guy with the big hair and the red the red framed double glasses. And it was always like there was actually a second character to the band, like second to the front man. Yeah. And I think that was yeah, a huge Well, well when Patton card. came along, Jim had to share that attention that he was getting before Patton. Uh, cameras would always focus on Jim or Patton, whether it was li- in live 
or promo shots. Yeah. I mean, just to put that into perspective, I've got hundreds of posters just of Jim Martin mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Mike Patton. You don't, you rarely find a magazine had a picture of, uh, you know, a poster of Roddy in the set of pages or a poster of Bill. It was always either Jim or Patton. A perfect example of him standing out in a promo shot is that famous underwear photo from from oh, out yeah. of nowhere yeah. um, by Ross Halfin. Obviously, yeah. uh, Jim stands out because he's the only one fully clothed. Uh huh. Yeah. Jim was. Very popular with the metal side of the music press. Magazines like Kerrang, Rip, Metal Hammer. His photo was on the first FNM cover story with Kerrang, which is issue, uh, let me, 246 from July 1989. It's the same photo that we put out on our social media. That's the reason Mm -hmm. I put it Mm -hmm. out there. He went on to be on the cover of another six Kerrang issues, including three Christmas specials. But another reason why Jim was so upfront for that that heavy metal press was his best buddy, Stefan Chirazi, uh, author of The Real Story, the first Faith No More biography and, and countless Faith No More articles. Stefan was friends with Cliff Burton originally and championed Faith No More from the beginning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Stefan, Jim became lifelong pals and <laughs> Jim Martin was ordained so he could officiate at Stefan's wedding. No shit. Yeah. But Jim, look, Jim was very vocal, opinionated in his interviews, um, often doing them by himself. Even in 92 and 93, when it was very uncomfortable to be in Faith No More for him at the time, he continued to to talk and be the face of the band. Mm. But his lifestyle and viewpoint are often what separated him from the rest of the band. His personality might have been more suited to a macho rock and roll outfit like Guns N' Roses or Metallica. I think there's a bit of a... It's it's a bit ironic. But, uh, yeah. Because I think if he was in a band like that, he was such a powerful force, he wouldn't have been allowed to show so much of his identity and have so much freedom in a band like Metallica or Guns N' Roses. Yeah. I think Faith yeah. No More was a dream job for him because he got to be himself and show off and be such a dominant force when he was in the band. But you wouldn't have been able to have that freedom. But And I feel like, too, that part of what drew Faith No More into the limelight was the fact that they had someone who was like, who looked a little bit like Slash, you know, a little bit like James Hetfield. You know, they had this metal yeah, dude. Joe Perry. Like all those. He fit what was hot at the time. And the other thing that was hot at the time was obviously the Chili Peppers thing and the front man and the handsome front man being... Patton versus Keatus. So you had like a, a Keatus looking front man with a Hetfield, Joe Perry. Yeah. You know, totally kind of metal dude yeah. at the front. So it was like, it was, it was kind of, it helped. It definitely assisted with their media attention. Also the Stefan Shirazi. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. From uh, a, a magazine from 1989, rock out magazine. There's this brilliant quote, which I've always used whenever referring to Jim. And uh, she's Jim Martin saying it. It's not like five different people trying to sound like the same individual. It's like five different jerks struggling to be individuals and creating a band out of that. So there have been like six or seven guitarists before Jim in Faith No More and its early incarnations. His direct predecessor was Mark Bowen. Uh, But Jim joined Faith No More in 1984 but it has ties with the band that was much earlier than that okay sit back as we take a trip back into Faith No More history I'll learn a little bit about James Blanco Martin 
So Jim was born on July 21st, 1961 in Haywood, California, where he lived with his three brothers. His early musical influence... His early musical influences were Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, Pink Floyd, Lynyard Skynyard, and of course Black Sabbath. The first song he ever learnt to play was War Pigs. Jim's Faith No More story starts in 1976 with his first band aged 15, Easy Street. So Cliff Burton, legendary Cliff Burton, and Mike Borden were already friends and then they joined Easy Street, which took its name from a strip club in San Mateo. I've got a few quotes here. This one's from Small Victory's book by Adrian Hart, and it's Mike Bording. Cliff and I both met Jim at the same time. There was this band in Haywood, the next time loaded from us, that needed a bassist and a drummer. Cliff said, let's go check him out, so we did. We ended up in Jim's band. It didn't last very long. I probably didn't pray very well. This wasn't what I was trying to do. So, Jim Martin and Mike Bording's got on each other's wick from the start. Mike said, we never hit it off. I don't know why. He was a very unique dude, even in high school. Jim said, that band was together for over five years, but Bordy didn't last long because he talked too much shit. He went and joined some pop punk band. So this was uh, the beginning of the friendship between Cliff Burton and Jim Martin that would uh, last for, for many, 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 many years. They both attended, right, I don't know how to say this, but Chabot or Chabot college in Hayward and that's where they formed the second band Agents of Misfortune and there's that video I don't know whether you've seen it on YouTube of Cliff and Jim playing it like a battle of the bands I think it's like 1981 or something and no, you I can hear a couple of Metallica songs in there and you can you can hear parts for Surprise You're Dead is that really? yeah 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 it's on YouTube Ooh, yeah I'll have to grab that cool so in 1984 June 26 Bill Gould Mike Borden Jim Martin Cliff Burton all played together in a band called the Chicken Fuckers at <laughs> Mabuha Mab- Gardens in San Francisco. Courtney Love was there too. Uh, this was obviously before uh, Chuck joined the band. Uh, but this is the first time those guys played together. And from here, it led to Cliff going off and doing his Metallica stuff. I think Jim went off and did a band called Pigs of Death and Recluse, but eventually Faith No More. So that's it, yeah. So that's the story up until we care a lot. Sick. Now, did you just say that Bill Gould was on stage with Cliff Burton there as well? Did you say it was Mike Borden, Jim? Yeah, yeah. It's in it's in the um, Small Victories. Bill talks about it in there. It's a gig that's been spoken about by Mike Borden. Yeah, cool. This is probably the token moment of the episode where I say I need to reread that, and I'll probably say it again next episode. So, in breaking down Jim Martin's playing. Most people will have heard, most likely, will have heard probably The Real Thing or Angel Dust prior to hearing the other two. And even if they heard Introduce Yourself, there'd be a very small few that actually heard Faith No More uh, in chronological order and heard the evolution. And you can hear his style right at the beginning. You can hear that it's him in We Care A Lot. Totally. Yeah, totally. but it's definitely like a watered down Jim, and I think what we hear across the albums is his evolution, not only in his own guitar playing ability, but also where he fits and what he does with it, and uh, his contribution to We Care a lot. While solid and strong, it becomes even more fancy and interesting as we progress. So yeah. the highlighted couple of moments that I wanted to point out. On We Care A Lot, is you've got, um, I just wanted to point out the jungle riff in the okay. jungle, and you got that, uh, 
Oh. Another one? What a top tune. Oh, yeah, tune. dog. But yeah. what's interesting is that what you would expect from a metal guitar, someone who's, you know, been influenced by Black Sabbath and the sort of the, the more metal sort of sound, is you'd expect this kind of chunky palm muted, and I'll talk through guitar techniques throughout all of this, but instead of hearing like a... Oh. What he's doing instead is he's actually letting the strings do more of like a... You hear what I mean? It does a... Yeah, yeah. And this leads me into what I feel is the start of Jim's magnificence. And he's playing, and it's his totally bodacious uh, approach to the guitar, is that he sounds like a live guitarist. He sounds like someone who's been jamming in the room. Like These sound like parts that are Mm -hmm. written out of a rehearsal room. It's written out of a guitar plugged into an amp, turned up loud, you know, sometimes competing with drums and trying to find its place in everything. And then we get to songs like Mark Bowen is the other standout to me, and Why Do You Bother?, but you can actually hear the guitar feeding back between parts. between chords and between moments you can hear the guitar feeding back and especially in why do you bother like it's actually a big part of what the guitar is doing um, throughout that song So that's the first Jimism, we'll call it. Yeah. One, one of his one of his things is he sounds like a live guitarist. He doesn't sound like a studio guitarist. He doesn't sound like a bedroom player. He sounds like someone who has gigged, who has you know been on the club stages, been in rehearsal rooms, turned up loud, interacted with his amp, and sounds a lot more sort of uh, well live, lively, energetic, and organic. I think as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Natural, yeah. It's funny, he didn't play a very huge part in the writing for this album. He's no. only credited for Pills for Breakfast and, of course, his little ditty, Jim, named mm-hmm, after me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and is that why it was voted the least popular of all of Faith No More songs? Vote the worst Faith No More song ever recorded on the Faith No More followers poll, which Bill Gould found particularly funny. Yeah. FNM fact! Pills for Breakfast takes its name from a catchphrase of Jim Martin's. It was actually written by Mike Bordin and Jim Martin together. Oh. Um, and of course, the second one is Jim. And he, he's, he's, I always loved that little, like, almost argument that him and Mike Bordin are having at the beginning of Jim. You can hear it. I wrote this song all fucking night. You know oh, what he I mean? says, um, don't fuck it up, Jim. And he says, why yeah, yeah, not yeah. Play, yeah. It, play it all fucking night or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before he goes into it. Don't blow it, Jim. Why not? I said so. Blow it all fucking night. 
I always love that. But yeah, and the other thing I wanted to say about We Care a lot is, is his his picture on the back, yeah, the man yeah, with yeah, no yeah, beard for... and the shorter yeah. hair. Yeah. And I think somewhere did we mention that in this episode, or did I read it somewhere that he had the short hair because he had a another job as a fence painter or something? Oh, but he had the glasses, obviously. But he looks uh-huh, Jim uh-huh. looks so weird without his beard. Yeah, ah, yeah. I'm a poet and I don't do it. The song Jim itself intentionally seems to showcase an approach to the guitar that let's just say is pretty. It's a pretty approach to the guitar. It just shows a competence in you know something other than rock and metal. Um, yeah. which he, he seems keen to want to, you know, put out there as well. Um, yeah, definitely. So that's the other it thing. It does that over the career, thing though. I wanted to flag. Yeah, exactly. over the most career. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then the uh, the only other song that I had notes that I wanted to mention for We Care A Lot is just in As The Worm Turns, we hear that spread of a whole bunch of different skills within one song. Like he plays the straight, straight guitar. Oh, here we go. I'll break out the old guitar again. The, uh... So he's just playing straight chords, like he's just he's just bashing them away, and then we get some palm mutes because just before it goes into the next bit, he does a little. We get a palm mute, and then we get a riff. We get the uh... bit as well, mm-hmm. uh, and then we also get the sort of high one. And the next time around, he stomps on the wire and does the really quick lead lick where he goes. Which I won't do on the acoustic also because I can't. And then we get in the other parts of the verses, we also get these sort of chucka chucka things. We get these like. So, I mean, that that song itself just just showcases a bunch of different ways of playing the guitar, which for that stage uh, was... The other one that I wanted to just give a little little nod to. I believe you can break Jim's playing down into three main elements. The first element is what you just mentioned there, that chugga-chugga sound that he's got, yep. which develops into huge, like, galloping riffs, which you hear much more on Introduce Yourself and The Real Thing. Oh, yeah. So and, and he's a master of it. Was that, was that actually you going? Oh yeah, or was that sample? It sounds <laughs> like that song that. Chugga, chugga, oh beautiful! Oh yeah! Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he's got these massive galloping riffs. So that's the the first element. The second element are these open melodic chords. So it's like he'll he'll hit a chord, and he'll let that ring, and then he'll just pick notes out of it and form mm, like a, mm, a small mm, melody mm. and he does that in a lot of verses and a lot of choruses he does it like before the solo in epic he does it he does it all the time yes i think that is one of jim's signature things and point three i'll come to mm-hmm, it in a bit mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well uh, uh, yeah introduce yourself because you've just brought up my first note for introduce yourself is there is there any uh, is there any history to talk through after we talk about music, I'll go back to talking about Jim Stone. Okay. Uh, the other the other thing in my note is the uh, the flying V all the way through. Oh man, the V, the flying V. Do you know he bought that in 1979? For um, real. I've actually got a little quote about the V. Believe mm-hmm. it or not, um, I think he said this in 1992. The neck is my personal favourite, and that's the main reason why I play one. The original guts weren't so hot, so I spent a long time getting them right. The V seems to naturally have a fatter sound than any other Gibson or Fender. 
And while I could put the same pickups on any guitar, I doubt that it would still get the same tone. Yeah, I've heard that about Vs. I haven't tried. I've, I think I've tried one once and they're just ergonomically one of the biggest pains in the asses because you can't just sit and play them. You've got to stand up with a strap. Otherwise, they just slide off your knee, off your lap. Oh, okay. <laughs> mm. uh, well, and so these big chords. So uh, Introduce Yourself opens with Faster Disco and we get these awesome mm-hmm. big chords. And the other thing is we get more of that volume swelling sort of live sound throughout the sort of in the main verses the guitar sort of hangs back and he's just i don't know if he's working the volume knob or if he's turning and facing his amp and getting that interaction but again we're getting a really sort of live sound and then we get those great gym chords in the chorus of fast disco and it's definitely one of the highlights for that faster disco which i think is a new little introduction to something that he does is little guitar harmonies so the guitar doing you know hitting two different like two guitar parts playing different notes at the same time and then interacting okay. with each other and the riff of faster disco where you get the um and then the next time around and there's the other one that sort of plays over the top of that yeah 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 the yeah. little sample to drop in on that one And then, of course, the the King of Harmony uh, being the next song and song, and we get that wicked guitar solo. Well, this is my uh, third element to Jim's oh. playing. Oh. So it's, uh, I mean, I've just put it as heartbreaking solos. Oh. I mean, Jim is a master at solos. He never very, he very rarely gets to do them. But mm-hmm. when he does, they're just so melodic and so crazily awesome. Yeah, you listen to the solo hit. What we've got here in Anne's song, the notes he hits are just—they're just out of this world. Some of them are unexpected, yet perfectly melodic, and mm-hmm. that goes on throughout the catalogue. We'll talk about Angel Dust in a bit, but the the solo in Everything's Ruined—it's just so the hairs on your arms stand on end. You know, this is the third thing that I think makes Jim. Such an amazing guitarist. This is his ability the, the, the to melodic. solo. Yeah, yeah. It, like I say, very rarely gets to do them, but when he does, <laughs> <laughs> he always seems to capture something, you know, melodically within the song. You know, he do, he doesn't just do the yeah, uh, you know, wherever whoever you would say it started with. But I think someone who did it a lot was uh, Kurt Cobain in Nirvana. Did a lot of guitar solos that would just play the vocal line. Mm-hmm. As a guitar solo, and yeah. uh, Jim Jim finds you know a melody and some licks and a way of dropping into a guitar solo and then doing something that just becomes its own part. And he he tends yeah. to write yeah. really great solos across the whole. Catalog. You know, I haven't put this as a note, but I'm pretty sure uh, there is a quote somewhere from 
Mike Bourne in, maybe Bill, that said they, they didn't want that solo in and song. It was like, we don't want that fucking solo in. It sounds like um, Van Halen or something. We don't want it in. But it ended up being in the final cut. I'm glad it did. Yeah, it's definitely... I, I recall that being in Small Victories, and I don't remember... Yeah. I think Bill hated it, or and it was maybe Matt Wallace or someone said, come on, let's try it. It's a cool idea. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you said doubled before, but it's a, I'm f- almost certain it's a tripled guitar part. Oh, okay. Sorry, so, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry? No, no, yeah. no. That's, that's I'm just fine. going on the amount of hands Absolutely. in the video. Oh, yeah. Well, incidentally, isn't one of those another person? Well, of course. Is <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it might be James Hetfield. Yeah. Is yeah, James Hatfield's one of the guys poking Chuck in the in the um, cage, so I think he did lend one of his hands to Jim there. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> Ooh. and that always, you know, again, I don't know who the first people to do it, but it always reminds me of Thin Lizzy. The boys are back in town. You know that that's the yeah, that's yeah, the classic yeah. harmonized guitar in my mind. The boys are back in town again. And this is obviously, you know, something else entirely. Uh, And then, uh, look, I mean, you you can't talk about big chords without talking about... uh, Without talking about... Chinese arithmetic. No, no, that's that's a classic example. Candlelight, it burns in the... That little note there? Yeah. Those chords in that... Uh, in that... Averse. Beautiful. And then we get to that big galloping thing. Your friend was young, hung on the jink, 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 jink thing. Your friend was young, hung in plaster. He never knew his own disaster. It's got the gallops and it's got the chords. It's got some fucking sexy loving going on in there with the him and his guitar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love it. Yes. Oh, Chinese wrist tick. Oh, it makes me wet. I didn't really. I, I, I didn't highlight a Jimism as being the gallops, even though you brought the gallops up before. I think this is the start of the gallops. Yeah. That we hear. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and then we care a lot, being the second time it's been recorded, because it was obviously the opening track to the first album. His playing and approach has evolved. Now, I would say it's got a lot to do with the way he started playing it live he probably started to just trick it up a little bit but it becomes a little mm-hmm. bit more interesting coming out of the chorus so you've got the um breaking it out again oh it's a dirty job as someone's got it hang on is that a uh, silly me uh, uh, it's a dirty job. Uh, uh, is that how whatever the chords are and uh and then on the first album version 
Jim just starts chugging away, just almost like a drone where he just, you know, and then it goes into the verse about the gamblers and the, and he just keeps doing that. yourself version he comes out of the crowd well, that's a dirty job it's on the other day and he just starts going like well I'm playing good tonight and then um, and then he does more of like the or he does more of the chugging he goes back to the chugging in the verse and he throws in a couple little couple little you know yeah Uh, so he's started to trick it up a bit. He's starting to, I think, I think what we can respect about him is that he doesn't tread all over things. Like he knows when to stay out of the way. You've got, you've got a powerhouse of a rhythm section. We talk about it all the time. We've got the booger daggers. We've got the, the you know, the way Bill and uh, Mike Borden are relating to each other. And then you've got the soaring keys over the top with, you know, it's always got to come back to that with the Faith No More sound. And Jim's always seems to respectfully slot into that and still not tread on the vocals and just sort of find where he fits. Um, and when we get to, we'll get to Angel Dust and we'll talk more about that. But you can hear and introduce yourself. He's starting to get cleverer at where he's fitting. He's starting yeah. to get more and more interesting. And I think these chords is part of it, you know, like, if you go way back to when we did that Roddy Bottom episode and I talked about the pads as being one of mm-hmm. the things that Roddy does, padding things out, so just holding suspended sort of things, or suspended chords. I think, you know, Jim's got a really good ear and I think he's – I assume he's got a good technical understanding and probably a bit of theory, enough theory that he knows what the bass guitar is doing. He knows what the sort of the, the main chords are. He's listening out for what Roddy's doing, and then he's got these these voicings that he'll grab notes that are coming out of the vocals or notes that are coming out of the keys and just throw them in. And I think those moments where we hear those really great chords is because he's he's picked up on that. Like he's grabbed hold of that or he's just worked around on what chords and what these little extra voicings are. What are these little extra flavors he can drop into them? And we're getting that more and more. R&R? Can I just mention R&R? Yes. Yeah, that. We were about to do it at the same time. And all I want to say is... I was just working it out. What part would you... No, it's more like a bridge. Um, I don't know the lyrics to this one, but you know when Chuck's singing the... Another thing that we get... that, mate? Oh, yeah. Hiya. Are you talking to me? No, Mike. Oh, sorry. That's all right. All right. Okay. He is much more important. Right. Bye. 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 Bye.
Aye. Brilliant. Another gymism that we get are these offbeats. It's almost, what did you call it? It comes from like a ska reggae vibe. But in that, we get these great like gank, 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 just these offbeat guitars that are just really cool, just simple chords, nice, nice little flavors. But they're, they're giving us that shaka, 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 jama. Did you ever watch Would you say that's a similar feeling? Greed. It's kind of kind of off. Yeah, you know? no, I'm really sort of I'm going for the, the 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 reggae vibe. I think that's what that's what I'm feeling on these offbeats. So the 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 shaka jama. And I was going to talk about the how I met your mother scene where Ted says the girl plays bass in a reggae band, and Barney says he loves reggae. Do you know the scene? No, you've lost me. He goes, "Oh, I love reggae." What's that how song cool that goes? That? Oh, does she know that one song? Chaka, mm, mm, chaka. Mm, mm, What's that song called? Oh, right. It's called Every Reggae Song. I am... Uh, Crab Song. Here we are Crab again. Crab Song. Pretty plain. Yeah. Funnily enough, the intro's not uh, written by Jim, but all through Faith No More's career, Jim... I mean, people... When we get to Angels, we'll talk about how he didn't really contribute to that album. But if you look through Faith No More's discography he didn't really contribute a huge deal to any album mm, you know his mm-hmm. parts but as in writing songs uh the other jimism i'm just i'm just gonna run with jimisms now the the other jim martin style jimlings is it called a jism a jism i love it the other jism yeah i like that yeah. the other jism is the <laughs> is the uh licks Fucking licks, fucking li- like little lead breaks, little lead fills. So we're not talking about solos. We're just talking about little in-between moments that he just does little new new news. And we get it in Crab Song. Uh, and again, he's listening out to what the vocals are doing. And we hear Chuck. I, I think it's in the, the section toward the end of the song. And he goes, time to run to the other side. We love it. And then that bit. Right before the hoo, 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 yeah. I drop a little sound because he gets time to run to the pew, pew, and like he just does a little lead break, and then toward the end of the song, he does a few of those, like a couple of nice little little leady licky things, and that's a real gym thing, you know. I think we might have seen a little bit from Trace Bruins here or there. Dean Mental used to like to make a lot of noise and big scrapes and slides and, you know, whirring things. But Jim's always done the licks. He's the lick guy. He's And he's always just, like, Licking just the uh, dropped them. <laughs> Jim likes little jism, the Little jism licks throughout. Yep. Little jisms here and there. And, you know, and we, and we do begin to hear more and more of that. But I, 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 I noticed it in Crab Song and nothing stood out prior to that on Introduce Yourself. And then to close out Introduce Yourself is the very ending of the album in spirit where it ends with the sound. And we've talked about the sound yeah. before. Yeah. Um, that kind of like, like something slowly dis- getting destroyed.
Yeah, well, I mean, the things we just hear at close out, introduce yourself. Uh, and obviously that's being 1987. But it was a... Apparently he was playing a Cliff Burton signature, Morley Fuzwa. And when uh, when it was discussed, I think it might have been the episode I did with Adrian. When I first started yeah, talking about the sound. Yeah, we definitely and uh, yeah, we definitely did because um, it. I mean, it, this came up when we talked about Angel. Uh, uh, introduce yourself, but uh, I sort of put it out to listeners and said, "Does anyone know?" And quite a few like people wrote in and pointed out what it was, and I think a couple of people uh, commented on our Facebook as well. So I, um, you know, what we should do on in this episode somewhere. This this can be our homework, Mike. When we finished recording. You can go away and find all the times when he does that noise and put them into a little compilation. Thanks. All I could pick up was it's at the end of Spirit and it's at the end of The Real Thing on Warpigs. And I quickly flicked and I thought maybe it was at the end of maybe Morning After or something. But no. No, it was Is it not those in moments. Faster Disco somewhere? Ooh. Okay. Sure, I've heard it earlier on in the album than that. Yeah, but that that, that closes out uh, notes on introduce yourself and jisms. That's okay. Well, mm-hmm. should we go back into the the story of Jim the the story of Jim Martin? I quite liked it when you played uh, Zombie Eaters underneath when I was talking okay. yeah, yeah, early yeah, on yeah, in the yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. The story of Jim Martin, part two. So Jim Martin was uh, instrumental in the sacking of Chuck Mosley. Uh, there were tensions between the band, and Jim and Chuck had several fist fights. And, yeah, in the end, they had to get rid of Chuck. Equally, Jim played his part in the hiring of Mike Patton. And we all know that there was this fantastic gig at Humboldt State University in Arcata in October of 1986, where Trace Bruins handed a copy of The Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny to Mike Borden. But it was Jim that loved it! So Jim loved... Right, you can start that now. Uh, Jim loved... Reg and Laugh of the Easter Bunny, he loved Mike Patton's voice on it. And uh, I've got this wicked quote from Mike Bard in 2015. He, Trey, gives me the tape and I we play it together. Playing. He, Trey, gives me the tape and we play it together doing whatever we were doing. And Jim loves it because it sounds like Slayer. It sounds like speed metal with death growls and all this crazy stuff. And I'll never forget it. Jim turns around to us and says... This guy has got to be this giant fat guy with all the power he's got in his voice. And as time goes by and we're looking for a new singer, Jim was like, let's get the big fat guy from Mr. Bungle. So, yeah. Um, and then Jim pestered Patton and the band pestered Patton and Patton came and joined um, Faith No More. Then we're on to the real thing. Now, uh, I had a little I had a little listen to Wolfsbane. During the week, Wolfsbane. Wolfsbane. Live yeah. fast. Why did you do live that? Fast, you explain why, to the, our listeners why you listen to Wolfsbane. Yes, because and this was reminded by you, so thank you. You you gave me the prompt that had me go after it. Jim and Matt Wallace were determined to get a good guitar sound, and for one reason or another, they had been clued in that Wolfsbane were working with Rick Rubin in a nearby studio. Is that right? The same studio or a nearby studio? No, it was uh, quite a way away. It was in Los Angeles. Oh, there you go. So they traveled. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Thank you. 
Yeah, but I think they went to watch David Bianco in in action, didn't they? At the engineer, right? But then, and they'd heard that they were doing some pretty cool stuff, so they went and sussed it out, checked out Wolfsbane and what they were up to in the studio, what they were, how they were, I guess, miking up their cabs, what kind of settings they had going on. Probably blends of microphones, probably preamps, probably compressors, probably a bunch of things. Uh, and I tell you what, I listened to this album and I, I, I wrote it down, Live Fast, Die Fast. Is that actually the name? Yeah. I can hear it. Like, I mean, it sounds like a a, a Marshall guitar sound, but it's it's got a bit of chunk to it. They're a little bit faster. Should we talk about songs? I, I might try and fly through these a little bit faster because I've got a lot. Yeah. Um, but it's well, just a lot of So, like I mentioned earlier, there's Jim gets a bit more writing credit on this album. The first one he's got credit for is epic and you know that's it's one of the greatest uh, solos in faith the more catalog is epic i mean as much as people now dislike the song or or dismiss it or whatever even the band that solo part is just where jim martin shined throughout faith the more's career it's got it's got those open chords like i said at the beginning so it goes And Jim just right in your fucking face, man. Love it. Yeah. The surprise you're dead on there. That's a Jim Martin song. There's Zombie Eaters, which the beginning is a Jim Martin song from many, many moons ago. There's um what else is there? There's Morning After. That's that's Jim Martin song. Uh and there's Woodpecker from Mars, also a Jim Martin song. Jim Martin proper contributed to the real thing. I think this is Jim Martin's greatest work of all time throughout his career. His guitar work on this album. 100%, definitely. Absolutely. To fly through it, the guitar work in from out of nowhere in the verses, in the... More offbeats. That's a little bit more rocky. I wouldn't say it's so reggae, but it's like an offbeat approach to the guitar. We've also got the uh, the closing section of that song in the one minute here, one minute there, and he sort of does these. Oh, fuck it! I've got, I'm not breaking out the guitar so I can play guitar every five seconds. It's more so that you can actually hear it when I cut to a sample. But there's these. Um, he does this sort of like picking thing where he does like a. So it's like two notes here, and then one there, and. I don't know if it counts as a polyrhythm because, you know, the music's in 4-4, but he's playing in these cycles of three, you know, one, one, you know, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And as he cycles one, two, three over the top of the 4-4, it still sort of ties in. I don't know if that counts as a polyrhythm or a counter rhythm. From Out of Nowhere is the ultimate example of the marriage between Bill's bass and Jim's guitar. It just, you know, th- yeah. those two sync yep. together. Absolutely amazing. And then with Roddy's keyboard melody yep. over the top, mm-hmm. that's just faith them all. 
through and through that this early 90s style it's most atypical <laughs> most atypical. The, the reason why i'm motivated to point out all these things is because i think he's this is where he's really starting to shine with this ability to find the gaps find the spaces but also to complement by finding what's missing and what can be added to the song and then he's had this remarkable ability that you know that the, the core foundation of the band being Billy Roddy and Mike Borden. We get this new singer along, Mike Patton, who's quite the front man, quite animated. And somehow amongst all of that, Jim, who's sort of the, you know, we've already got these already so many important elements. Jim sort of stands out as the second feature to the band. Yeah, during the promo for for The Real Thing, this is when he was on the front covers. This is when he was involved in interviews. You see the video for From Out Nowhere, Mike Patton's doing his weird, silly little dances that he never does again. But then it's, it scrolls past and Jim's mm-hmm, got mm-hmm. the wind blowing through his hair and he's just stood there like some kind of statue. And you, obviously yep. you get that all the way through Live at Brixton Academy as well. You get that total contrast between those two characters at the front of the stage. Yeah, and it works so if well. If the camera was more on Roddy, I think he would be part of like that trio. But the, the thing is, the camera very rarely went on Roddy and Bill through that entire recorded performance. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. And it's it's the same for a lot of Faith the More stuff at this time. The camera's focused on Jim and, and Pat. I get that. Well, I mean, and it's also such an important part because right at this time, I guess, you know, the living colour, I wanted to mention someone other than Red Hot Chili Peppers as the first one, but the animated front man, and because it was the rap sort of thing that was being pushed at the time, but... You had, you know, the the funky front man, so mm-hmm. to speak, um, and Patton was obviously so much more, but just in terms of, I guess, a marketing yeah, or yeah, appearance yeah. perspective. But metal was blowing up. And so Faith No More just had the guy. They had everything, help. didn't they? They had all the elements that, that promoted their success in, in 1989, 1990. So, yeah, I had the note about the epic epic solo which you've uh which you've covered with the especially just the again the harmonies that he's using in that that he does so well um i I liked a little bit in um falling to pieces there weren't as many standout moments in falling to pieces for the guitar but i like where um every time on the chorus when because i'm somewhere in between my love and my and there's always like da 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 Da, da, and da, 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 da. and he does this like little complimentary kind of under the underneath the vocal little bend on mm-hmm. the G yeah uh you'll yeah you'll notice it forever now <laughs> um surprise you're dead yeah is awesome and we get to a new jism uh chromatic riffing so something jim likes to do in his songwriting different to i guess bill and roddy is you know the core of the surprise you're dead riff being like but it's just like notes notes that sit next to each other is essentially chromatics and he 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 likes to sort of play with that dissonance of having those notes you know playing notes that sit next to each other you know having a riff that's modeled around and that 
works. Yeah, so I'm well. surprised your dad dates back to um, the jams that he used to have with Cliff Burton. It's been around a long time. Little F and M factoid. F and M factoid. To get the guitar sound on this, he actually spent a bit of time with his old buddy James Hetfield, who ju- and they just finished recording "Unjustice for All" in the same studios. A Gremlins factoid. Did you know that Surprise Your Dead is actually on the soundtrack to Gremlins Two, the new batch? All right. Yeah, okay. I remember the moment, the scene yeah, where everything's yeah, falling apart cool in the gigantic yeah, yeah, shopping mall, yeah, and yeah. I remember the first time I noticed it and recognised it. I'm like, oh, that's that more in a movie. I don't think Surprise Your Dead can be taken seriously. It's more like a cartoon version of of speed metal. And especially with Patton's lyrics over the top. And it was like it was a working title that he yeah, took and around Yeah, and Patton it, just right? basically takes the piss out of Jim Martin with the lyrics. You know, he's like, oh, you're into death metal. <laughs> Even the way he's singing it, you know, he's going, <laughs> like that. Yeah, it's not my, not my favourite song on the album, but yeah, it, it is cool. I know what you're saying about that one. Zombie Eaters, he plays really nice, pretty guitar again. Even though you just talked about how he wrote that and... We get this galloping riff, but more so than the galloping, like, and I've talked about this times before. Uh, we get the, hey, look at me, lady section. The guitar is doing this, like, like really, really quick, fast picking to make it sound really. And I believe the bass is doing the same thing. So the, the, the guitar is doing this, like, a very floppy pick on an acoustic guitar this is difficult but you get that mm-hmm. you, you did you what I'm saying you get it uh, we get to the real thing and just in the in all the nice little sections as the songs in the you know in the verses as we're waiting for things to happen even in there's the boom boom the guitar's just got like these little delays and little just eerie feedbacky sort of just little ambient noises and again I think that creates the feeling of a live guitarist you know like that that energy and vibe is is there for that uh, we also get the galloping again. Then we get a new thing, another jism, which is he has this really wonderful knack for voicing chords here in um, in the real thing. You got the um, and then he does this thing where he does this major minor thing where he goes. So instead of he does. And adds uh, adds some voicing underneath to a chord that's only got two notes in it. Are you, are you, are you yeah, digging man, what yeah. I'm saying? I'm, I'm not listening really intently. Teacher, so. Excellent. Uh, and then he, but he does that across. Um, ooh, not in my notes, but a really good thing. So you know the "Hey, look at me, lady" section in uh, Zombie Eaters. Um, no, I hope you never. He does this really great thing. So imagine I'm um, going. I hope you never lay. Instead of playing an E chord and then a B chord and then a G chord around like that, he does this really cool thing where he does. He goes. 
where he's only moving one finger across these chords, like a. Can you dig it? Can you hear what I'm what I'm saying? So he's moving between this being an E, B, essentially a voiced you know inverted G chord, back to a B, and uh, it, it means that he's able to not jump out too much because it's all sort of sitting in a similar sort of space or is, you know, like it doesn't sound like it's moving around a lot, but the feel and the mood and the, the voicing and obviously the chord is changing. Um, and, you know, when you've got everything else so much going on, I think that's this other ability that he has that he still manages to tell so much of a story in his, you know, in his chords without jumping around and moving around yep. too much. Yeah, yeah, no, I get you. Yep. I don't think I could have explained that any faster, yeah. So, yeah, the, uh, we'll call them another jism, the simple two-note chords, but, you know, like voiced two-note chords. Um, underwater Love, we get some um, we get some more actually decent, nice big chords in the intro and stuff, but then we get this sort of offbeat, uh, funky little bit in the um, yep, in the verses. Yep. You know, looking down into the water, he's like, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> seem to do that quite often it don't seem to funk it up, no really. and the only time yeah, the, i think the only other time i could think is be aggressive yeah crack and hitler. uh yeah, crack yeah. hitler yeah yep that were the two crack hitler sort of felt like the the one that sort of sits in that almost funky sort of vibe um oh and i'm just trying to think of where the vocals go but i'll drop in a sample where he does right before the last chorus um ah oh, fuck what does Patton sing before but he does the um yeah you know, yeah, great. Can't even sing. Yeah. Yep, I'll drop a sample into that one. Uh, and then we get this amazing outro solo, which I've talked about before. It's even better live, especially the Brixton version. It's fantastic. Uh, morning after, we get some pretty guitar work. You know, the rest of the song. We've talked, we've talked about it being a bit of a dud in the past. You have. I have. I love to that the guitar song. Parts. You and, no, you and Adrian dissed on it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was me yeah. and Adrian. Yeah. <laughs> I love that song. But the uh, the verses do some more pretty guitar parts. Like he's, he's got he's got this little knack. Like yeah, you know, just yeah, yeah. Some nice little really notes playing something pretty. I'm liking the jism. Uh, and then uh, I'm liking we've added another yeah, word I'm, to I'm our the no more uh, dictionary. <laughs> it's good. We haven't even mentioned booger daggers on this episode. We've got jisms. That's the new one. Oh, I did. I dropped a booger dagger earlier, but we've dropped way we've dropped way more jism. We've let way more jism fly in this episode. <laughs> Woodpecker from Mars gallops. Um, I think what happened here was Roddy came up with the the keyboard parts and didn't know what to do with them. He passed them over to Jim, and Jim came back with Woodpecker from Mars' song. And there's some awesome bits in this. This is definitely a song that contains all three of my Jim isms, jisms. And the open chords, the, the galloping mm-hmm. riffs, and the solos. It's just fucking brilliant. Yeah, love it. Yeah, and we get, you know, more guitar feedback when the song sort of starts to collapse on itself yeah, and it's falling yeah. apart. 
we also get that we, we also get that live feeling again like this the band feels really live in this song before about the chromatics too like even just that da 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 same thing chromatics notes next to each other Uh, very gym thing to do Um, yeah Warpigs Warpigs I mean it's a a cover but he's put his own touch on it you can hear a I'm a huge fan but also I was kind of led on to them by this this cover but my brother used to listen to Black Sabbath before. I've, I've mentioned this in a way back in probably, I think it was the first episode I joined this podcast. Mm-hmm. What's it called? Podcast Croissant. Yeah. This one. Um, <laughs> and I said that, you know, it was my brother that was that got me into Faith and More because he was into uh, Black Sabbath and someone gave him a copy of, of the real thing because it had Warpigs on it. But Jim mm-hmm. on this just trashes Tommy Iommi's guitar. It's, he's just fucking, you know, he's, he's covering one of his heroes guitar lines and he's doing it a thousand times better than his hero did it it's it's such a great version of the song it's brilliant and and jim's guitar even though it's it's pretty much note for note tommy iomi's original guitar it's just the way he plays it the sounding mm-hmm. the phrasing everything is just head and shoulders above the original it's amazing and you know jim's favorite band of all time yeah this is the point where jim was like yes i get to, you know this is like me and you being in a band and Someone says, "Oh, let's cover Midlife Crisis." We mean you'd be like, "Yes," we'd be, you know, like Mike Bordin and, and Jim Martin were. Do you know what I mean? This is just like a dream come true for them. Sure. Well, and he puts uh, he's puts his own spin. One of the fastest licks in the song. Um, it, damn, like there's no way I can do it. But there's a there's a particular lick in the song in the solo where Tony Iommi does his. You know what? Fucking samples. Here's Iomi's approach. And here's Jim's approach. And Jim's is a much... Like it... Um, Tony Iommi's is almost a little bit more stonery. It's a little bit more cool. There's a bend in there instead of just hammer-ons and pull-offs, whereas Jim's just fucking twiddling, twiddling very, very fast. It's much tidier. And then um, the other awesome thing is that he goes off to... I, I, I can't remember on the original Iommi version whether he has harmony. I feel like he has a couple of guitar parts going at the same time, but 
Jim Martin's execution of the guitar parts and the way they come together. I've talked about it before. They're playing off on these different notes, doing harmonies, and then they come together on the den it den it den it den it den it den it it is one of the best parts. It's it's unbelievable. And of course, this song and as we said before, the real thing both end with the this sound. sound. The Morley Fuzz. The Morley Fuzz. You're going to do a massive compilation of. Yep. Well, it, as I said, I bought one. So if I get time, I actually want to yeah? mimic it. Because what's happening at the end of this one is I I feel like what... I've, the only guitar I've got that's got a whammy bar on it is a Stratocaster. So it's not a heavy, meaty sound the way a Flying V is. But Jim's got this Flying V, which I think has got a Floyd Rose, which is a really dive bomby. You can just bend the thing right down so the strings just go... <laughs> like that. And what I think he's doing is he's just hitting the strings and just pulled the whammy down so far, like, uh, yeah, the whammy bar so far down that it's just going, and he's doing this wow on the, on the whammy. So I'll see if I can sort of replicate that because there's, um, it's one thing to make the strings go wobbly where it just goes, and it's another thing to just play notes that go, wow, but then put the two together Okay, I think this is the best I'm going to be able to do this. I've got a Strat going into a Marshall guitar sound, so closest to sounding as Jim as I can right now, except for this is a Strat, not not a humbucker guitar like his Flying V is. So there's our Marshall sound. So I've got a... I've got the whammy bar on this thing. So a straight guitar tone with um, just a big E chord, right? And then we can bend it down using the whammy bar. Then I've got the pedal here. So without whammy bar. And then I can bend it down while doing the same sweep as well. And I think this gets pretty close to the... End of War Pigs and a lot of what Jim does when he's making noise. I just wanted to mention the grade and the cowboy song. The cowboy song is Jim through and through. I'm glad you did because I didn't have a note here for cowboy fucking cowboy song. I didn't put that. Oh, I didn't put it on. <laughs> yeah, thank you. No, please. Get angry. Do it. You, no, you go first. Right, so I'm just going to mention the grade first then. No, I, I I love the grade. Um, and did you know that Jim can play the mandolin? He can play the banjo? Uh, he was a massive fan of the Pogues back in the 90s. So this kind of like drunken Irish music, he, you know, it came out sometimes in his playing. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also a big soundtrack fan and it was his mm-hmm. idea to have the Dune soundtrack at the beginning of the live gigs during the Real Thing era. Yeah, oh. that was one of Jim's favourites. Uh, go on then, what are you going to say about the Cowboy song? Other than it's fucking sweet! Cowboy song encapsulates encapsulates not just what the band are great at, but specifically Jim. Jim shines in the Cowboy song. The the, the big open chords, again, you know, more jisms. Just 
cowboy song is riddled yeah, with jism. There's jism all over that bad boy. The chords, the solo, the harmony, like the harmony guitars, and then the, the outro. The harmony. Oh. The harmony <laughs> guitars. I, I, I am I fall in love with cowboy song every time it was it in my top ten in an episode and I have to listen to was it, it again. in either of us top tens well it, it would be today no. if we had to do my top ten today it would be there and I'm sure it'd be in yours as well actually no I think it was in my top I'm pretty sure it was in my top ten well, we've discussed this your top ten was men at work and a lot of red hot chili peppers songs <laughs> the lion sleeps tonight so after the real thing so the biggest thing Jim did in 1991 was star in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, which we have already featured heavily in this episode. <laughs> and he was Sir James, James Martin, Martin of Faith No More. Founder of the Faith No More Spiritual and Theological Centre. And he had two lines in the film, which were... Station! 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 And... What a shithead. What a shithead. Uh, in 1991, mm-hmm. I was about 14. I beat its faith no more for about a year, something like that. And the Bill Ted's Bogus Journey soundtrack was the first, like, new thing to come out, something that I could look forward to, you know, hearing new music from the band. And before the soundtrack came out, obviously the movie came out, and me and my mate Mark, shout out Mark, uh, went to Mark. the cinema to see... Bill Ted's Bogus Journey. And I remember we wore as Faith No More t-shirts and I distinctly remember I had like a, a waistcoat on and cut off trousers and, and big clumpy boots. Uh, I think I might have even had the long hair with the shaved undercut thing at the time. Nice. And we sat right at the back and like, so we're like 14. Anyway, it comes to the scene. Jim Martin comes out of the elevator. Station! And me and Mark stood up. I'm like, yeah! Faith No More, fuckers! And uh, everybody in the cinema looked round and just stared at us and were like, because they didn't know who this fuzzy, freaky guy was with red glasses <laughs> on. And like me and Marcus sat in the back row, like sniggering to each, <laughs> to each other. Uh, and then I remember when the song came on as well, when the perfect crime comes on, when they're in the, the van driving along. I think we did the same thing again. Did you know that song yet? Uh, no, no. It's like the first time I think we'd heard it. Dead? We're dead, dude. No way. This way. Now what? Whoa! Who are you? Ted. It's the Grim Reaper, dude. Oh. How's it hanging, Death? You will come with me. Melvin. Right, shall we move on with Jim's story? Oh, please. Oh, so, yeah, so we get to 1991 and the band start writing new ideas for the next album. Um, but Jim 
abandoned rehearsals and went off some R&R in his truck. So Jim's attitude towards Angel Dust was strained from the beginning. Yeah, so Jim wasn't really there for the rehearsals, for, for the writing of the album. Matt Wallace commented that Jim's dad had died just weeks before rehearsal started um, for mm-hmm. Angel Dust, which had put Jim in the wrong frame of mind to be to be working on music. But in Small Victories, it says that uh-huh. his dad died at the end of 1990. So, oh, right. yeah, I don't know how okay. much that did play in, in, in Jim's lack of enthusiasm. Uh, but it, uh, the band, they moved their studio space from San Francisco to Oakland, where Jim lived, to accommodate him. But Jim still didn't turn up for rehearsals. And due to his absence during the songwriting, Jim obviously found it difficult to understand what direction the bands were taking. I mean, from Angel, sorry, from the real thing to Angel, this is a huge leap in song style. And Jim was like, whoa, you know, where are the band going with this? Um, he, he felt that the music was, quote, very contrived. And I thought that the band was trying too hard. It took me a while to figure out where I was going to fit in. Um, so much that uh, Bill contributed a lot of guitar to the album. However, so I'm just going to drop this in here. I think it's the right time to mention this. So in 2012, I became quite friendly with Stefan Chirazi, who we mentioned earlier, and he put me in touch with Jim Martin, and I managed to conduct a Q&A between Jim and fans, which became quite infamous because the things Jim said in it were quite scathing towards the band, and he and he. He, in his words, he put a few things straight that members of the band and Matt Wallace had said about him, uh, which then led for for Bill Gould to comment and say that Jim's comments were wrong. So it, it was a bit of a can of worms that shouldn't have been opened, to be honest with you. Do you remember that Q&A? Yeah, I remember when it went down. I mean, from the from the outside, it was just spicy. It was good. I it thought was it was a real scoop. I thought it was really cool getting Jim talking. I didn't realise that it was going to um, upset um, offend and you know revisit some some tough times for members of the band and you know I had to I ended up having to apologize sure. to Bill for it but it did provide us with some interesting stuff to be honest with you but how accurate well, we, was don't, all we just don't know do we yeah Jim said this is a quote from that article about the songs on Angel Dust the guitar parts are mine that's me playing guitar on all the tracks I contributed much to the songwriting and arrangements. Bill added some fluff to Midlife Crisis and Midnight Cowboy. So that's what he says about the songs. And then Bill came back. This is not accurate. I thought that after 20 years plus, we would have moved on from this. And the last thing I want to do is get into a point-by-point debate. For the, but for the record, I wrote guitar parts for the following songs. Caffeine, Land of Sunshine, Small Victory, Kindergarten, Everything's Ruined, Not the Solos, Smaller and Smaller. I gave direction on Be Aggressive, and though Jim called it fluff, I wrote and played the Ebo part on Midlife Crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I do feel a bit guilty <laughs> all these years later uh, about talking to Jim about that, but me and Bill are mates now, so oh, it's all war under the bridge. But Jim still played the guitar parts. It's more the, you know, there's there's just a disagreement in who know, wrote. Who, who yeah. wrote. yeah. But, like, you know, I think there are parts that Bill played that they kept. Maybe Jim didn't know. Do you know what I mean? Maybe Jim didn't know what had been kept and what had been redone and, you know, etc. Because he wasn't there for the mixing of the album. Yeah, sure. I feel like there are so many parts that are just unmistakably Jim. You know, the way they're played, they sound like him. But, I mean, maybe that's just become so used to them. It could have been 
could have been Bill. Yeah, yeah, but something. Yeah, and and then it starts yeah. to get a bit nippy. nippy yeah, well, on the recording it? process, Jim uh, thought it was torturous, and obviously this is when tempers ran high between the band. Uh, Jim said in 1992, "It's been an unpleasant experience from the very beginning. It's been very unpleasant, but not really much different to my other experiences in making records with Faith No More." It's always been a very unpleasant experience. A lot of people scrambling to get henchmen on their side to play silly games and blow smoke on a situation. He definitely sounds bitter by that stage. You know, everybody remembers that Jim hated the album. Jim called it gay disco. Jim, you know, wasn't as involved. (laughs) But as we've pointed out earlier, he wasn't as involved with the writing on all the albums. And he's been quoted in many interviews saying how amazing he thought Mike Patton's vocals were. On Angel Dust, yeah. well, and I was about to, I was about to bring up the interview uh, that MTV did, where you've got that really long four hours yeah. of Faith No More, the making of Angel yeah. Dust, which is yeah. essentially just tapes that have leaked. In in that interview, the girl asks Jim, you know, any standout moments, and he said a few times that you know, often Mike Patton yeah. will stand yeah. out and he yeah. does a good job. Is there any one member that, that really shines on a particular song when you listen to the song and you go, wow? Not so far. Nobody shines yet. We'll see what happens when we get to the mix down. You know, people shine a little bit here and there. For the most part, you know, Mike Patton shines pretty much through the whole album. Everybody wants to hear the, the lyricist. He does a nice, nice little job. Um, but it's funny too because you had that quote before where you were talking about the music felt uh, Angel Dust felt a little bit I, I can't remember the words you just used for Jim's quote but it was like he said it was like a bit they're trying yeah, a bit too yeah. hard so he said whereas in this interview he actually said it all sounds a little bit safe yeah yeah well yeah he's had this Everyone's he, does, no, he safe, does say that you know? as well so he sort of contradicts yeah, himself yeah he does say that that um, he didn't think that the band were <sighs> He didn't think they were going in the right... You know, he thought they were just stay, staying in one place and they weren't evolving. Yet, Angel Dust is the ultimate example of a band evolving. Totally. Uh, for Jim. Jim did contribute to the album, not only in, in writing, though. It was the Russian soldiers image, uh, where the Russian soldiers are sat in the red square with their faces oh, yeah. superimposed. That was yeah. Jim. That was Jim's idea. Um, and there's been quotes saying Jim didn't like the uh, the name of the album didn't like the cover and it wasn't he didn't like him he just didn't really get a say I think he uh, he wasn't a fan of the name Angel Dust he said Roddy wants to call it that and I just want to go on record saying I had nothing to do with that does the album have a title yet and can you explain it well I don't think that the album has a title yet as we speak here uh, probably won't until the the album cover is ready to go to the press do you have anything in mind? Well, uh, Roddy wanted to name it Angel Dust. I don't know why. Uh, I just want you to know that if it's named Angel Dust, it didn't have anything to do with me. I just tapped my mic. It's going to come out pretty good, huh? Yeah, okay. <laughs> it sounded like he tapped his mic. Okay. That's so brilliant. They kind of... Uh, re- uh, uh-huh. Yeah, and then um, the other thing, and this sort of ties into talking about the music, and this is something right at the start of talking about Jim's part in it, is he has a really great knack for figuring out where he fits. And I think Angel Dust, you know, contrary to, you know, the, the feeling that he wasn't into it or whatever, it's actually, 
Jim's most interesting guitar work. Now, I'm curious how much of that is owed to the fact that possibly Bill had written parts to it. But the guitar playing across this album, you know, the real thing's really, really strong guitar work, but a lot of it, you know, is very similar in approach, you could say, whereas Angel Dust really starts to break away from a lot of habits and, uh, you know, we start to hear new approaches and new things. Uh, that that Jim, yeah, more, new jisms again. <laughs> There's a whole well, song about it. People have to remember that even though Jim was not into the music on this album, he still was a team player. He still did interviews. He still did live shows. He still wanted to be a part of the band. He didn't want to happen to him what did eventually happen after this 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 album. And there's interviews towards in 1993 where he's talking about I can't wait for the next album it's going to be more my way this time I can't wait till we get past this one and we get to the next one as far as he was concerned the rift wasn't big enough for him to be ousted yeah right he should never bought a fax machine anyway (laughs) let's talk about some songs well first off the first thing that I've highlighted here is just this album has more solos more guitar solos than any other Faith No More album and they're, they're also bloody good. Now uh, we get to. I've I've talked about my favourite. I I didn't go over it again, but the you know in the the real thing the, the you know what that you know my favourite chord. But in uh, Land of Sunshine, you got the the bass line does that, and Jim has this really cool guitar part, which is just basically. He does it where he plays that horrible chord for a second. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the dissonant chords, we start, we get a bit more dissonance, and it's it, and we also get those really great um, major chords I was talking about earlier too. So it's like the um, does life seem worthwhile to. Ha 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 ha! Does life seem worthwhile to you? And then he goes, which is also a chromatic thing. Now that could have been a that could have been Bill, but we get these awesome, you know. Yeah. Like just say, and this is one of the songs. A jism so much. Sunshine and Caffeine. Uh, the first two songs on the album are two of the songs that Bill said he wrote the guitar lines for. Ah, okay, okay. Uh, well, the, one of the things I was highlighting in um, Caffeine was um, just the the little delay and the little pick scrapes that happen in the eerie section, the little weird eerie section. I don't know who, whose idea that is, but again, it's more just interaction with the guitar, like. All he's doing is just dragging his pick down the string so you get these little... Mm-hmm. You know, and when you do a few of those and you put a bit of delay on it and you overlap everything, it starts to get all eerie. But that's pretty... But it's so easy for you. Cool. 
cool. Now, I, I imagine I'm going to skip the notes that I had on caffeine because I actually, now that you say that, I think they are more bill yeah. driven. Yeah. Um, midlife crisis again. There's you can just noticeable bits of feedback. You get you know, that little squeak at the very start of the song that you were able to find out recently that that was Matt Wallace said that that was actually yeah. Jim's yeah, guitar yeah, yeah. feeding back in the intro. RV, I wouldn't call it a jism as such, but we we hear more of that sort of country approach to his guitar playing that we've not, you know, that he doesn't showcase a lot of, but we know is there. You know, we get a hint of that in the grade, and um, but that, especially the heavy section where Patton sings, "Well, I'm a swinging guy," and you get these, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. the, the cool sort of right before you get the. Beep, 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 doo-doo. But it was really interesting re-listening to this. I always thought that those little guitar solo-y bits were quite sort of loud, but they're actually quite subtle. They're not very loud within the song, but you can, you know, because they're high, you can still hear them quite clearly. I think RV totally suits Jim as well. It does. Totally Even suits it's one it, Out of Faith the Most Catalog, it's one of the most, you know, out there songs. Yet it really suits Jim. It's like it's like it's written about Jim, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> Hadn't thought of that. Uh, I didn't have a lot of notes for Everything's Ruined, except for I just wrote the solo. solo. That solo, man. Oh. Solo. Say on that. <laughs> Malpractice, written by Pat. But there's a cool thing about Malpractice, which from that very same footage in the studio making the album, Mike Patton brought that song in. Yep. We see Mike Patton playing the bass guitar and explaining to Jim, oh, I've wrote this song, check it out, it goes like this. So obviously that song was written in the studio. I don't think that was for the cameras. That was, you know, uh, but Jim was definitely showing interest in that. And Jim was definitely like, in the fast part. You could hear the cogs in his brain ticking over thinking, oh, I reckon I could do something good on that. And, And the guitar on that is phenomenal. There's some proper heavy moments on that. Oh, it is. I mean, it's all very um, just straight sort of power chords. It yeah. just makes you wonder what Mike and Jim could have done together in the future if that's the type of song that, that they put together. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, so we, then we get onto the first mm. song next, Kindergarten, which Jim actually has some credit for um, writing. So there's a thing that happens in Kindergarten that I wouldn't call it a jism, but you get those little those little... And that's what Jim's using in the intro of Kindergarten, where he does a... I played that wrong. Yeah, little little harmonics. (laughs) 
mentions this one does Jim in the um, in again in that MTV special because it's working title was F Sharp and he mentions in that that he, he really likes F Sharp it's like one of his favourites on the album is that the song that was titled yeah. F Sharp that's weird because it's a B to an A well, don't ask me why I'm not a musician but that, the, yeah it's kindergarten that was F Sharp according to set lists I, I don't understand music theory mm. maybe maybe it resolves around the F Sharp cool we move on to Be Aggressive which is a perfect example of Roddy and Jim working together you know we, we had yep. Woodpecker from Mars on the last album and on this album it's like Jim and Roddy just fit together perfectly and I think he, he's using a wah throughout the song and I was just listening over over to it before we talked about it that I don't think he turns the wah off the entire song right because you've sort of got the um and then just wow 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 and then the chorus and then you got the the guitar solo but even in the like I swallow section and it just does a big I'm pretty sure he's just left the wah sort of just sitting, sort of filtering out a lot of the sound. He's just sort of resting it there. I don't think he actually turns it off the entire song. I think just a a tidbit more than anything else. Really, Jim? Thanks, Mike. Two laptops, Hayes. (laughs) Small victory. Oh, this song's really grown on me over the years. Yeah, I, lo- I love it. I was never a huge fan, it. but... It- and I love Jim's guitar in it as well. The thing is with Angel Dust is even though Jim's guitar is a lot less prominent than it was in the last couple of albums and you don't hear that that obvious Jim style, I couldn't imagine another guitarist doing this album. It's just, for, for me, I mean, you know that this is my favourite album of all time mm, and I wouldn't mm. want to change it at all. So in that Q&A... Our FM friend Matt Thompson, shout out Matt. He sent in a question oh, about um, Angel Dust being one of the most influential metal albums. And Jim said, I am happy Angel Dust is regarded in a positive way. It is an affirmation of the legacy we all work to create. I am aware that some of the newer bands I actually like have referred to FM as an influence. I am also aware that AD was on Kerrang's most influential list of 2003. It is an artist's affirmation, and that's fine. Am I surprised? I don't think anyone could be expected to anticipate something like this. So, you know, it, it, it's not like he's turning around saying, well, fuck that, you know what I mean? I, I didn't enjoy that album, so mm. it doesn't deserve that yeah. kind of respect. He's actually taking that, taking that in and saying, yeah, I, I'm happy about that. The Hendrix Chord, which is... Technically, a dom- I had to look this up. A dominant seventh sharp ninth chord. If you go like um, purple haze, like great little chord. In the um, uh, you got the down, down, down. And then he goes into the... I can't play that very well. 
Yeah. You hear the bit yeah. that I'm talking about? That. It's this just really spicy little use of the that chord just broken up. You're like, great. And then it goes up. Spicy Hendrix. There's a funny little story attached to this song. You know, they did the um, remix of it, the Re-Evolution 23 remix done by Youth. Uh, Jim absolutely despised that. It was obviously hated techno music, as he called it, any kind of dance music. Yeah, there's a little bit in an article somewhere that says that they're doing that remix and they absolutely adore it. I think it's Patton and Gould talking about it. And Jim's sat in a corner (laughs) with his arms crossed looking proper angry. Patton, yeah, Patton did a shout out to Jim on stage that night saying how much Jim loved techno music and he was going to buy him a shirt. (laughs) That's why Jim, I mean, I think, was it Ben Brown mentioned it at the beginning? Jim used to not do the running around on stage to the aerobics at the beginning on the Angel Dust Tour. Um, You know, it was was all all part of the same thing. Jim just thought, I'm not doing that fucking shit. Do you know what I mean? Which is quite funny in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it did uh, fuel the fire burning between the guys and but I, and I think that's what I think that's what most, a lot of people appreciate about him though and what Ben Brown was saying that he's he always just sort of stubbornly yeah, did his own, yeah, stuck to doing his thing stood his ground stuck to his guns crack Hitler more wah and then just big chords in the hay and Jim, Jim again in that um, <laughs> in that MTV interview Jim suggested this would be the first single yes Yes. I love Crack It Litter Bits, but it would have never made a single. Oh, I thought one of the other guys at some point in those interviews also pointed no, that. Like, it was if, yeah. as if the band could, were could be, yeah. leaning toward yeah, I it. I don't remember that, but... Yeah, yeah I feel like Bill... Because that um, modifies personality to the extent of being highly irritable. One of them quotes that lyric. Right. No, I think it's Jim. Interview. It's Jim. Oh, I think it was Bill. Oh, hang on. No, I'm, I'm confused. I'm listening to CD interviews with like a purple cover. From the ninth, from nineteen ninety two, and it's just the band are asked questions, and it's just <clears throat> them answering the questions. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody talks about Crack Hitler on that, and I think that might be where I'm I'm getting my uh, recollections from. Anyway, I've I've not heard that. I don't think I've ever listened to that. Call yourself a fan. <laughs> Fuck off and do a Men at Work <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Take your two laptops and fucking. Do a different podcast. <laughs> right. Now, next song on the album is Jizz Lobber. Jism Lobber. Yeah. The, uh, obviously, the song written by Jim, and we get another great Jism. But these, um, aside from the chords being really interesting throughout, and then the obviously the smiles and bruises section being quite heavy and a really cool riff, I love the bit where it breaks down. It just does a... Which just this kind of dissonant sort of sound. And then it switches to this crazy riff. And if anyone out there is a guitarist and doesn't know how to play it, if you want just a really ridiculous exercise, like when it changes to the cruel words section, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the timing changes where it does this, and listen to me screw this up. It does this... um. It's 
crazy. And it's like the pattern, like the fingers, it uses all four fingers. And it's this prick of a rip. And then it does a... Uh, you know the bit I'm talking about, don't yep, you? Yeah, Good times, good times, and odd note choices. And then at the end of the song, I actually don't remember how to play this riff anymore. But um, when Patton starts singing, I am what I've done, I am what I've done, I'm sorry. Jim moves to this riff that just goes... Just really cool, dissonant, weird, um, great, great notes. To say this is Jim's main contribution to this album, and this is my favourite album of all time, Jizz Lobber is one of my favourite Faith No More songs of all time. I just absolutely, oh man, everything about it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's in my top ten. Fucking brilliant. No, it wasn't. We've discussed this. Look, everything was Jim about this. The swamp sounds at the beginning. You You know, we discussed... Mm-hmm, I think we discussed mm-hmm. it in the Roddy episode. Matt Wallace had given as like a present to the members of the band, like a, a little DAT recorder. And this is where a lot of the samples came from that Roddy got for the album. Ah. And Mike Patton used it to record his, one of his first, what was his first album called? Um, Adult Themes. Yep. Adult Themes yep. for Boys. Uh, now, Jim, this is, this is Jim's, this is what Jim used it for. He recorded the Swamp Sounds. <laughs> So that's Jim's yeah really? little contribution there. Oh, that's a that's another really great tidbit, Jimothy. I've got a quote from Jim about this song. Uh, I just wanted to have a song of mine on the album, and I want to write something really horrible and ugly. The, t- the title is my idea of a joke because I'm not really a fan of guitar jizz music. Of course, I can't play it like Satriani or Steve Vai. Anyhow, I feel like these guys are playing another instrument altogether. I didn't know that. I didn't know that about the title though. That's that. I didn't know that was the origin of the title. I thought it was to do with um, some story of a guy that could literally actually shoot jizz over people's heads. Didn't Bill Gould say I that? I don't once? remember that. I think that's just some kind of mm. strange little dream you've no, had yourself. No, there's a quote. I'm yeah, go to find it. For that now. Prove it. Don't come to the podcast, Mike, ill-prepared without the relevant quote to back up your statement. Um, I meant to say, too, Jizzlobber actually has, like, a really huge sort of flangey effect on his guitar throughout the verses. Like, in the... And the... It's really flangey, and I think he turns the flange off on the Smiles Bruises section just to kind of clean it up and make it more solid. So, for the rest of it, it's going... Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Into the down, 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 dun, 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 and just a little, just, a little, just not, not, just it, it's there. Right, so um, Faith No More went on tour 
with Guns N' Roses and Metallica, which Jim loved. Uh, Jim's always been very friendly with Metallica. Obviously, we've spoken about his friendship with Cliff and then with James Hetfield. And he also was pretty close with Jason Newstead as well. Um, they uh-huh. went on tour with Metallica and then Metallica went off and they were doing the Guns N' Roses tour. And I think this was the beginning of the end for Jim, to be honest with you. Because as much as Jim spoke out about the tour, said he found it boring because they weren't playing hardly at all, he was kind of hanging out with the Guns N' Roses guys. Um, whereas the band yeah. were, were disgusted by everything Guns N' Roses did. And did you know that the... Uh, After the fact! Faith the Most first bollocking <laughs> from Axel was because Mike Patton had been encouraging the crowd to throw beer at Jim. And, oh, really? And uh, Axel doesn't like getting his feet wet. And obviously, as the band spoke more and more about Guns N' Roses in the press, uh, Jim didn't so much defend the band, he just didn't talk about them. He didn't join in this this kind of banter. Uh, and he always said that Guns N' Roses were good to them, which Bill did admit in the end. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a, a great gig um, in Texas during this, this tour um, where Mike Patton rounds on Jim Martin and he catches uh, Jim throwing a plectrum into one of the into the front row of the crowd, and Mike Patton says, "Is he throwing mm. shit at you?" Uh, and the crowd all cheer. So he says, "Well, I think you have to throw shit back at him. This is an open invitation to fuck Jim." Uh, and uh, Jim's like, "Oh, fuck off!" And basically, he gets completely trashed with plastic glasses. <laughs> and yeah, right. it's it started to get a bit ugly now between band members. Uh, there's a there's a famous Melody Maker article where Jim buys a gun, a BB gun, and shoots up his hotel room. And at the end of the article, him and the author of the article have been arrested. But this is the one where Patton's talking about how much Jim loves techno music. Uh, and they talk about how Jim lived with his mum, which is always a, a big uh, way of, of, of hacking on him during the 90s. They used to say that Jim still lived with his mum. <laughs> Uh, however, in the same article, Jim, uh-huh. like I said earlier, Jim did speak a lot about the next album, about how, he, how excited he was about that. So it shows that even though the band and him were growing apart, he still had no intention of leaving. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I wanted to mention too that, you know, during our King for a Day episodes and songs like, um, I think Star 80 was the big one and also Evidence, and we said, could Jim have done this album? And I think for... For those songs, it certainly wouldn't have been delivered in the same way that Trey did and Trey did a stellar job. But songs like RV um, and the approach he took on this album, and I guess some of that leans on Bill Gould, you know, Bill Gould writing some parts. But I, I still think he had he had it in him that he could have actually applied, you know, he, it, it could have worked. It would have been really interesting you know, it would have been a really interesting to hear them evolve from Angel Dust with yeah. Jim. But I think if you take King for a Day out of Faith No More's catalogue and skip straight to Album of the Year, I think Jim would have made a really good job of the songs and Album of the Year. Yeah, um, yeah. Maybe not so sure. much on... I don't think he could have coped with King for a Day. Anyway, yeah. so we get on to about September 1992 oh, yeah. and there's an article in Kerrang! called Testing the Faith. And this is the first article where it starts where the band start actually talking about not getting on. Uh, so there's a quote from Jim. It feels like there's four of them against the one of me. Whatever opinion I take, I end up as the minority. Sometimes I hate those fuckers. 
And Patton says, I think Jim should get a medal. Jim works really hard at being the official party animal for Faith No More. He does enough work for all of us. What a guy. And there's so much venom in that interview. And the interviewer has actually interviewed, I think it might be Stefan Chirazi again. He's interviewed Jim separate from all the other members of the band. Mm-hmm. Right. For, for anybody that had not noticed it on stage and not noticed it um, from smaller contributions to the album, this is when fans were like, oh my God, what's going on? Is, are the band going to split yeah, up? Yeah, right, right. So you fast mm-hmm. forward then to July 1993, and it's the Phoenix Festival, which is Jim Martin's last yes. ever gig with Faith And Mark. it's out there as a recording, and there's really good bootlegs on YouTube where someone synced the soundboard audio to the video and, camera. And it's, it's a Patton's it's a neat, proper ripping into you can Jim watch it. all the way through it. Yet Jim's... Yep. Playing is fantastic. Yeah, it's 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 actually a really good show. Somebody uh, emailed us earlier on. Uh, they mentioned who was it? Matty Hinchcliffe mentioned the solo. My mate Matty. Yes. Yep. Not to be confused with Ice Ice Matty. <laughs> yeah, and all the articles after the Phoenix Festival uh, that were published, the, the the band were getting it at each other. Mike Bardin said to Kerrang. The, the same month, July 1993. I don't think he has any idea what we're doing. I don't think he understands our music at all. And Bill said in the same article, as far as I'm concerned with Jim, we've had a lot of great times together. If Jim did leave the band, it wouldn't be the same without him. It would be something else. So they are actually talking about what if Jim left? What if we kicked Jim out? Yeah, right. So sure. then fast forward a little bit further into 1993 and you get to November the 30th when Jim was fired by Roddy Bottom. Vera fax machine. We didn't find out about this until January 1994 when it was again Stefan Chirazi that wrote in Kerrang! Uh, he interviewed Bill Gould and Jim Martin. And this is what Jim had to say. Faith No More, as you know, it is no longer. I believe the fact that we always went in different ways musically was actually an integral part of the band. I am still writing songs, working on music, as I have been throughout my most of my life and will continue to do so. Hopefully I'll see you all soon. So that's it. Jamie's gone. Most non, 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 non heinous. I just like to take this opportunity to go back and just look at Jim's relationships with other members of the band. So Jim didn't get on with Chuck. Uh, Jim didn't get on with Mike Boarding, as we've heard. Jim didn't get on with Mike Patton. He did get on with Bill up until about 1991, but he did always get on with Roddy Bottom. Even though Roddy was the one that sent the facts, he always got on with Roddy. And yeah. contrary to people's beliefs, Jim was not homophobic, even if he did use derogatory uh, slang. Him and Bill were the first people to find about about Roddy's sexuality in like the mid-80s. They, they, uh, you can read about oh, yeah. that in Small Victories. Jim and Bill accidentally bumped into Roddy doing something with one of the roadies. And a yeah. while ago, Roddy put up a post on his Instagram and it was uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. a picture of his, him and his family. And Roddy wrote, in an attempt to criticise me, this dude, okay, Jim from F&M, once said, raised by women, raised as woman. Now, there was loads of shit in the in the comments. Loads of people were, were, were having a go at Jim. And so then Roddy commented also, um, just to put the record straight, and he put, ah, hey, F&M peeps. To clarify, I meant to triumph women, not to bash Jim. I love Jim. 
He just happened to be raised by men, and that was on the other side of the spectrum. And it was also Roddy that made contact with Jim 15 years later for the reunion. And it does seem like Roddy got on with everybody in in Faith of the Mario. He never fell out with anybody, but it does seem that he was the one person out of the band that always got on with Jim. Which and and they were both on the opposite sides of the spectrum, as Roddy said, both musically and yeah, sure. um, their personalities and the, you know their lifestyles. So, but yeah, that's the end of Jim in Faith No More. Uh, but he just his story doesn't stop there. Oh no 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 no! There's much no, no. more to Ooh, know about Jim marching, you know. Next? Yes. Oh please, please. What happens next, Jim? The, contra- the first thing I want to say is contrary. First thing I want to say. Is contrary to pop... I can't, why can't I say contrary? Contrary. Right, I'm going to Con- say the contrary. first bit of the sentence and you say that word. So, the first thing I want to say is... Contrary. To popular opinion, Jim is not a pumpkin farmer. <laughs> Con- contrary. Contrary. Oh, no, I can't say it anymore. <laughs> contrary. Yeah, Jim is not a pumpkin farmer. That was just, uh, as he put it, and just an experiment. Jim, in fact, inherited his father's business in real estate... And he lives on a farm in Castro Valley. Um, but after Faith No More, he formed a band called... The Behemoth. I feel like, it, was he going as The Behemoth? Behemoth. But unfortunately, there was already a, a Swedish or Icelandic metal band called Behemoth. Yes. So he ended up just going out as Jim Martin. The Jim Martin band. He did do some shows as The Behemoth, and you can find those, it turns out. I didn't even know, but on um, on YouTube, there's there's like a couple of interviews that actually show a bit of live footage of them playing, and you see a bit of live footage of Jim playing Surprise You're Dead. Mm-hmm. There's a bootleg out there, and I think that was all under the name of The Behemoth, and then he went on to do the Jim Martin stuff, which I think is where you're yeah, about to go Yeah, and he did, he did come to the UK as, as just Jim Martin. And they released one album called Milk and Blood, which um, features a Pogues cover and also the reworked version of Surprise You're Dead. And as much as you can tell that's Jim Martin on that album, as much as that's his guitar sound, it's a terrible album. I'm sorry, but it is. You mentioned earlier in the episode that he was a Pogues fan. I didn't know that. Mm. And Navigator that he yeah, covers yeah, yeah. on that, obviously. So he's obviously been a fan for years and that's something he wanted to do. The Surprise Your Dead cover is kind of pointless. His singing is the biggest letdown of the whole album. Um, but I would say, if you're a Faith No More fan and you're a Jim Martin fan, I still think it's a it's a must listen. Oh yeah, like, definitely. I, I, I've got. I a copy loved of it, it when it. Yeah. Yeah, when it first came out, I was really into it, and then it was just as time went by, I was kind of realized, no, this is pretty crap, and it's mostly just because of the singing. The singing makes it crap. The arrangements are kind of shitty because it, it just drags on. Sometimes the songs just loop over the same parts for so long. Um, it could be a lot more succinct. You can. It's almost like it's just this album of potential and just a whole lot Got of it. riffs. But yeah. also it's a, it's a dude that's been in a band for 84 and he was out in 84. So it was a 10-year yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. time with Faith No More. And it's just, you know, it's obviously his first venture into just doing what he... And it just sounds like it sounds like someone's first... Yeah first you know joy of just i'm just gonna do what i want the closing track hunter shepherd reminded me a lot of what we hear in like the grade that kind of really um the acoustic country sort of thing like it's an instrumental hunter shepherd that closes it that's interesting
And there's a song called Special Tea. There's, a, there's another stupid song called Fatso's World that Jason Newstead wrote with him. Um, obviously, Jason Newstead from Metallica. Oh, and the, the opening track, Disco Dust, the yeah, yeah, like all these years. Are, that's James Hetfield on that song. Disco in it. There's faster disco. I was about to say that's a disco. There's gay disco. Disco seems to pop. Even the Jim Eight to disco, it seems to pop up in Faith of the Mosque history a lot. So. But it's a not. It's a, a, yeah. And I, has this come up before? But like, is that is that a bit of a cheeky nod to disco dust? Like it's it the quite, end of the disco be, thing because he's yeah. It could be. It's you know Faith No More's over. I felt like the but the song Special Tea has this very caffeine. It's got a couple, it's got riffs, the riffs remind me of Caffeine and um, Land of Sunshine, like just little elements of it. Um, and some of the lyrics, I actually thought I wondered if it was about the breakup, but I couldn't be bothered reading them and whatever. But <laughs> Special T was probably the one sort of standout song riff-wise. Anyway, so Jim also did some remixing of tracks by German band Die Krups. Uh, he played guitar on the second album by Voodoo Cult, released in 1995. Uh, can't say I've ever heard any of that stuff. No. Uh, Jim featured on Jim featured on two Metallica albums, Reload in 1997. Uh, he was on No Man's Lyric and Garage Inc. in 1998. He was also on the Primus album Antipop. In 1999. So, um, that Primus song that's on Antipop, Eclectic Electric. Yes. Uh, James Hetfield is on that one as well. All right, cool. Jim uh, toured with punk band Fang between 98 and 2000, and he recorded their album Fish and Vegetables. Again, never heard that. Indian-American actor and songwriter Anand Bhatt became friends with Jim backstage at a festival, and they recorded Conflict in 1999. And that sucks. Does it? I've not heard that either. Um, Devin Townsend, Devin Townsend Project is like Devin Townsend's a real innovator, really cool. Um, does very industrial sort of stuff. Does a lot of like records his own music. Um, you know, when I say industrial, like that's that sort of Rob Zombie-ish vibe to things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like a shit Devin Townsend. Okay. I've never got into Devin Townsend myself, but right. yeah, it's like, it's just a, it's just bad. Any vocals that are on it suck. The music is just, it, yeah. Yeah. It's a waste of time. Yeah. Did you make note of that song by Schizo on the album Got Sick? There's a song called Loner. Well, I, I just found it on the Wikipedia and listen, you can hear that it's Jim. It's actually, it's not bad. Yeah, I listened to it. Yeah. I didn't yeah. mind it. Yeah. And the solo at the end's great. Yeah. 
And then Jim featured on Echo Brain's debut album, which is with... Hang on, you've jumped too far ahead, though. That was in 2002. In 2001, he played on Flybangers' album. Right, I didn't know that either. Two tracks on that. Head Trip, Head Trip to Nowhere in 2001. Um, he played on the tracks Cavalry and When Are You Gonna Die? Um, and it reminded me of, like, Fear Factory. That, that Just that sort of vibe. But here's an interesting... Here's something interesting for you, Jimothy. Produced... Oh, no. Credited... Production credit, Matt Wallace. Oh wow! So Matt Wallace worked with worked with Jim on that Head Trip to Nowhere album by Flybanger, and then in two thousand and yeah, and then two thousand and two, he played on the song, yeah, you know, that Echo Brain. Got that Echo Brain album was a piece of shit too. Yeah, I've not I've not heard that either. Jason Newstead's after J, after Jason Newstead left Metallica and yeah, and then yeah, he plays on the song Spoonfed. And yeah, that album sucks. Okay. <laughs> I think that then when the next we heard of Jim or we saw of Jim was when he joined Metallica on stage to perform Tuesday's Gone as part of Metallica's 30th anniversary shows. Uh, he also spoke with Stefan Trazzi again about um, Cliff Burton. Uh, and then in 2013, he joined Infectious Grooves. Yeah. To play at Metallica's own festival, Orion, in Detroit. And he was with him again in January of the next year to perform at the Whiskey A Go Go. And in November last year, he played with Infectious Grooves in Sao Paulo in Brazil. So, yeah, Jim's last few gigs and return to the stage have been with Infectious Grooves, and he's actually fitting the band pretty well. Like I said earlier, he did look a bit like yeah. a hardware-style salesman. <laughs> yeah. There's footage out there, Yeah, though. it's cool for him to be back, you know, on stage. In the encore of the um, Sao Paulo gig, they treated us to a rendition of We Care A Lot. That would be the first time Jim had played that oh. song live since 1993, which was quite cool. But I don't want to get into this too much. But why wasn't Jim Martin in the Faith No More reunion? The long and short of it is Faith No More did contact Jim to be part of the reunion. And Bill said to Rolling Stone in 2015, we spoke to him and it was a very strange conversation. He said he would do it. He said this was not an emotional thing. But there are some songs we wrote after you. And he's like, that's not a problem. So on the surface, it was great, but it really didn't feel right. That somewhere at the end of the conversation, it was like, okay, we'll talk to you soon. And Jim said, yeah, send me a fax. And Bill went, oh, that felt off. And then that was kind of... That, yeah, it just didn't feel right. Yeah, just kind of to indicated Bill. to Bill. Yeah. yeah. And Roddy said, we totally reached out to him. It was in my mind that, of course, we couldn't do this without Jim. There's no way 
We all felt pretty strongly about that initially. Well, some of us may be more strongly than others. Jim was a real contentious person in the band, but I loved him. I wanted him to do it, and I actually talked to him about it. I thought it was going that way, but it just didn't work out. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, it was Blabbermouth that actually spoiled Faith No More's reunion. There was obviously rumours they were getting back together, and Blabbermouth spoke to Jim Martin, and Jim Martin said, yeah, they're getting back together, but I'm not going to be a part of it. <laughs> and it didn't make headline news, <laughs> but the news was out there before Faith No More made their... And that I think that actually pushed Faith No More, right, we've got to make a comment on this now. So yeah. And yep. Faith No More did approach Jim again for the um, We Care A Lot reissue gigs, you know, the Chuck Mosley and Friends. And I, oh, yeah. I do yep. believe at this point, Jim didn't even write back. He didn't even respond um, and I do remember that Chuck had said something about really wanting Jim to do it. So that that's it for the Jim Martin story. Is there anything else Yay. you want to say about Jim Martin? I mean, oh. Um, what a shithead. <laughs> oh, I'm spent. Yeah. New music? Yeah, remember, remember last episode we promised that there'd be a jingle for this? Yeah, here it is. New music! <laughs> there you go. Thank you. That's yeah. good. I really like it. <laughs> I'm going to put a Bill and Ted sample over the top of it and it's going to sound great, don't worry. Yeah. Hang on. What? Oh, hang on. Wait. We didn't mention... We didn't mention that when Jim Martin was in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, he also was responsible for all the guitar bits in it, all the little... I actually didn't know that. Yeah, Jim Martin did those. They're all the little... In Bogus Journey. I totally didn't know that. Yeah, Jim Martin did them. All the little... In Bogus Journey. That was Jim Martin. Yep, all the little... Oh, new music. Yeah, new music. Well, there's a there's a new song out by a band called uh, Mr. Bungle. Uh, they, they've recorded Raging Out Through the Heat, and they've just released another single. They just dropped a racist, but a racist wasn't on the original demo. This is essentially a new Bungle song yep. to be released. Yep. People who people who went to the live shows or anyone who watched live performances would have been able to watch this a racist song. But it's out. There's a recorded version of it. It's cool. I don't mind it. I'm not. I'm not losing my mind over it, but it's it's okay. It's all right. It's all right, isn't it? It's okay. That's certainly... Yeah, I mean, that's certainly some new music. I'm just trying to find my... I always create a little playlist, and I just always put my new music aside, just so I can talk about it. I haven't done any research on this new music. Yeah. What do you think to Man on Man's new single, which it's um, Roddy Bottom didn't listen and to it. Joey Holman? You didn't listen to it? <laughs> no. It's all right. No, I... It's not my jam. I mean, look, it's it's good, but it's it's not my... Baby, you're my everything. I, I quite like it. I think it's okay. I do like quite a lot of the stuff Roddy's done over lockdown. Um, for example, the new single by him and Hi-Fi Club is a cover of The Eye of the Tiger. And it's it's that the album that he's, he's just talking that over. Oh, it's cool. I'd give it a listen. It's really good, actually. I really like the new Deftones album. Ohms. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I really liked the lead single. A lot of people didn't. I like that. It still sounds like Deftones, but it sounds like they're growing up a little bit. Okay. But I think it's a really, it's a strong album. 
much stronger than the last. Um, there's no, there's no strong singles like when they released Koyo no, Koi no Yokan and I, I loved the song Leathers that was on that. And then it, off, um, oh, what was the one before it? Diamond Eyes had, um, Rocket Skates. I love the song Rocket Skates. There's nothing that strong on the album, but as an overall listening experience, um, it's good. Really like the new cool. Deftones. Um, yep. Yeah, so I just wanted to mention this guy called Mark Rebelay. So Mark Rebelay is this geeky guy, and he's fucking insane. He uses a mic, uh, a keyboard, a sampler, and he records loops, and he performs like soul, hip-hop, dance, but he's just really daft and funny. Uh, and his songs are really stupid. Like, listen to this. Yo, I'm hopping all around, I'm a pink bird I'm walking all around, better drink some Wawa I'm just Flamingo, I'm coming on your shoreline Here I go, I'm gonna peacefully drink Yo, I'm slowly creeping up to your front yard Nothing threatening here, I'm just a Flamingo I'm a Flamingo and I'm coming up to you Oh, is that your child? I'ma rip out his motherfucking eyeball I'm gonna rip out his goddamn eyeball I'm a flamingo, I'm a rip out of your eyeball. I'm a flamingo and I get up in your child's eyeball. No more eyeball, child bitch. Yep, I've I've done a little Google of his face. And I, I know him. I've heard something of his and it was just weird and random and he had a dumb background and he was just saying random weird stuff. Yeah, he's just really funny. So, yeah, I just want to mention right Ribelay. And I also wanted to mention one last thing, which is if you've watched Cobra Kai, the Netflix series, you will have realised oh, yeah. that Daniel Russo is a massive bellend and Johnny Lawrence was <laughs> always the hero. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm still getting through season two right. of that well, one. You should know that by now, then. Okay. And that's it for uh, news, hey. that music. No, it's not. No, it's not. I forgot one. All right, go on. Imperial Triumphant have released their album Alphaville. Okay, all right, yeah. With and they're like a metal band, and that's produced by, Trey. by uh, Trace yep, Bronze. Yep. Yeah, I need to listen to the album. I was really, I, I saw the making of, and I was really interested to hear it. Um, I was really excited for it to come out, and then I just haven't got to it yet. So I need to give that a listen myself. So instead of Faith the More News this week, I think we've got some other kind of news. <laughs> Mr. Bungle News! You could do better than that. If you go to mrbungle.live, you can buy a ticket for $15 US to see Mr. Bungle in a super-duper, wow, never-before-experienced Right, you're injecting hardly anywhere near enough enthusiasm into this. Right, so the night they came home is Mike Patton... Trace Bruins, Trevor Dunn, Dave Lombardo, and that guy called Ian. And they're taken to stage for the first time since their US Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny tour in February. And it's a one-off show. It's on Halloween. And it's at 12pm Pacific Time, 3pm Eastern Time, and 7pm UK Good Morning Fucking Britain Time. (laughs) And then it builds available on demand. For 72 hours after, after that. Uh, what time is that in mm-hmm, Australia? 6am. Mm-hmm. 6am. And tickets for yep. it are on sale now at $15. Yes. Um, yes. Mr. Bungle live on stage. Woo! 
fucking great, man. They say this is a kind of injection we need. The kind of excitement. It's so exciting. <laughs> but be warned, the shipping for the T-shirts is fucking stupid. I want to buy a T-shirt and it was three times oh, as it? much as the cost of the shirt. So before you advertise, all the fame that's implied with no fortune unseen. Sell the rights to your blight. Time machine. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like the way I was delivering that was strong enough. I don't know why you felt like you needed no, to take it over. No, it was rubbish, Michael. Absolute trash. You can take no, your fucking fair. two I, I, laptops I must... and fuck off. I have to acknowledge it's 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 approaching 11pm here, so that there is a bit of sensitivity about my, my yelling and shouting and um, volume of enthusiasm from a decibels Laptop. perspective. Yeah. Right. Okay, um, I think that's all I've, we've got to say this episode. Mm. Well, did we, we we did talk about next episode. Do we want to just flag that yeah, real quick? it's um, Land of Sunshine and the beginning of the Angel Dust story. We're doing Angel Dust in... How many songs are there on Angel Dust? Oh, 13, if you want to count Midnight Cowboy. And well, we do 14, want, we do if you want, want to count, count Easy. Yeah, so we're going to do an episode for each song on Angel Dust. So that's 13 episodes. And then what will we do? We'll do a B-Sides episode. So that'll be 14 episodes. We've already done Midnight Midlife All right, Crisis. Yeah, we have, so we? that takes yeah, us we back have to 13. One, then, yeah. And look, I mean, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? We might do a couple of Angel Dust songs and then we might go, we can deviate and do something else and then come back to yeah, it and keep yeah. going. But next episode's Or we Sunshine, might want to yeah. do them back to back. We're going to do Land of Sunshine. But we're not next. going to talk for three hours on one song, are we? No, I don't think we've we've got enough in that particular song. But here's the thing: please do write to us at podcastcroissant at gmail dot com and talk to us specifically about the song Land of Sunshine. And don't feel compelled to tell us that Patton wrote the lyrics during his sleep deprivation experiment or how he got some of the lyrics because that'll be um. We'll have that little bit. But any other little tidbits about Land of Sunshine or how you feel about it or your favorite things or your favorite live performance of Land of Sunshine. Perhaps you might like to point to one of the 97 versions of it live with John Hudson where they would pause and you go, here's Haldor and you go, do, do, do. And then Patton would go, do, 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 and sing along. Maybe you played the song while you're making love to your partner. Making sweet, sweet love. And you could record that and send us a voice yeah. memo, which we're uh, uh, we'd enjoy you know, that. really enthusiastic Definitely. about as well. So write to us about Land of Sunshine at podcastcroissant at gmail.com. You've been listening to Podcast Croissant. This is Mike Two Laptops Hayes. <laughs> and this is Jim. And be, be excellent, excellent to, to each, each other. other. <laughs> Perfectly in sync. <laughs> Hey, Mike, do you want to do a sing-along? Nah, no, I wouldn't. Uh, no, no. Come um, on. Can you feel it? See it? Hear it today? If you can't, then it doesn't matter anyway. You'll never um, understand it because it's happened too fast. Um, and it feels so good. It's like rocking a glass. You want it all, but you can't. Hey, Mike. Mike? Mike? 
It's all 